This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is... You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and term supply. See mcdonalds.com. Homesdale Radio. Football Blogging Award Finalist 2015. www.holradio.net Hello and welcome to the End of Season Show. My name is Chris Hambling and I am here to guide you through events. Hmm. Um, I just don't laugh when I say stupid things. (laughs) Uh, The main part of today's show will be an exclusive interview with Dougie Friedman. Uh, we talked to him for about 90 minutes about his career, and there's just some, there's some great stories in there, a lot that you'll just never have heard before and, and never thought you would hear. It's um, it's really pretty special. So, um, obviously, you'll want us to get on with that. But before we do, um, I mean, you know, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about the FA Cup final because we didn't do that. Um, we've just about calmed down and uh, can, can have some degree of a conversation about it. And... Um, also, we'll have a little bit of a chat about the season overall, but uh, but not not for too long, really. We just uh, mainly this is just for us to have a chance to say thanks to um, everyone who's contributed and all that kind of stuff, and to the dogs outside my window. They like to feature in many shows. Um, <laughs> as soon as I begin any kind of a show, they like to bark. So uh, apologies for that. Um, but obviously, back, back to the interview. I can't thank Dougie enough for the, for the time that he gave us. Um, a real pleasure to speak with him, and I do think that you'll you'll enjoy it as much as we did when you hear it. With me today are Nick Gillard. Hello. Hello. Lucy White. Hi. Hello. And Puerto Rico Good morning from United States of America. Oh, I like that. You're almost deep south with that accent. Was... <laughs> Try something different. Yeehaw. Every picture tells a story. Keep up to date with ours on Instagram at Homestale Radio. A little bit of admin before we start. Uh, there's been a pre-season friendly announced. Beckenham Town away. That is on the 15th of July at 7pm. Uh, it'd be great if people can get down and support that because it's uh, obviously a local club. It's, it's uh, going to be a sort of a, a bit of a fundraising game for them and it's the sort, the sort of environment you can go and have a beer and while you watch the game and all that kind of stuff. Um, and there's also, obviously, the club have announced they'll be doing a pre-season tour of the US um, again, so you can check the website for details on that. Um, I'll be so there. We'll, you will. I bet you will. I bet you will. Well, you know, take it you're not going to L.A., no, it's not LA, it's Vancouver. No, oh, it's Vancouver. You're Vancouver, right. Cincinnati, Philadelphia. I'm definitely doing Philadelphia. Cincinnati is an awful town. I won't be going anywhere near that place, but <laughs> <laughs> that aside, I know a kid who plays Vancouver, and it's a very great, nice town, So, but I can't go. It's too far for me. It is, yeah. But, um, yeah, good stuff. I'm sure we'll take a, 
you know, a, a small but committed following out there as well, which would be great. Um, just a small mention to the beer festival, mainly because it explains why I sound like this and why Lucy sounds like she does as well. Um, yeah, it was it was fun. It was it was a fun day, but um, it has taken its yeah, it's taken its toll. But um, obviously, cheers to the club for organising that. <sighs> Is it um, quieter than usual? I heard. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, um, which I think was a shame, but I imagine that's a combination of factors. Really, a lot of people would have spent their money on you know, two two trips to Wembley in the last sort of, you know, month and a bit. Um, so probably not so much spare cash to go and get hammered at Sellers Park. And probably, you know, also a few people probably cho- chose not to go because of this, they haven't really got over the defeat yet. You didn't go, Nick. Why didn't you go? Um, because I don't, don't really drink. <laughs> no, I, like I said yesterday, I spent the day on the sofa doing absolutely jack. Yeah, fair enough. Exactly. I do. Like I say I do kind of wish I'd done that myself. Let's talk about the FA Cup final. Unfortunately, um, I know you don't want to, um, and we won't spend too much time doing it because everyone's had a chance to digest it now. But it would be stupid if we didn't, at some point, sort of nod towards the fact that that we did go to Wembley for the final and we were so close to winning, uh, but ended up losing to Man United, uh, as we did, obviously, in uh, in 1990, 26 years ago. But um, Let's start with talking about Clattenburg. I think we've got to. Um, at, at the mm. game, at the, at the game, we always, we, you know, we sort of tried to put a positive spin on it before the, uh, when we did the preview and said the last couple of games he's ref for us, he's, he's been all right. But, you know, the pictures that came out of him hugging Sir Alex Ferguson in the tunnel didn't really give him any, do him any, any favours. But, you know, we're not talking about, you know, we're talking about a ref that's just done the Champions League final Lizard tongue. <laughs> what was that all about? Did you see that? I did. Yeah, I really don't know. <laughs> I just saw that on Twitter this morning. Um, but I, I mean, Nick, those are elementary mistakes. The, the the playing on one, you could see from the the stands that Connor Wickham was already back on his feet when when yeah. Clattenburg's actually blown the whistle. It's not like he blew the whistle oh, a bit early. Oh, sorry, guys. You know, he's actually Wickham was back up and running by the time the decision was given it'd be rubbish as a tennis ref wouldn't he because if he got to juice he'd never be able to give advantage to anyone so the game would never finish oh my it's, gosh it, all through pre-show it's been pun after pun have you is it because you haven't done anything for a while and you've got like a pun boil to lance or something it's this is bad uh, Patrick <laughs> could you answer that question without any kind of a joke of course I can I'm not Nick um <laughs> thank goodness uh, yeah Tell me about it. Um, I, I, Clamberg frustrates me to no end. I don't understand um, that call and later on the Joel Ward one also. I don't. Does he even understand the advantage rule? I mean, I'm, I, I think he doesn't quite understand it. I mean, listen, I don't want to use that as excuse for why we lost because, you know, I don't like to play out referees. But I thought his performance last week was just so poor. And it's just frustrating to even think about it. And then to think about now, you just said that part about um, the Alex Ferguson part before and the chumming up before the match just makes me makes my blood boil it really does it just, it's just so frustrated uh, yeah go on Nick you, you've got to wonder as well with the whole first name terms of Alex Ferguson would, would Rooney have stayed on for the 90 minutes had he not been Mark's mate well you don't know obviously you can't yeah it's what's conjecture. difficult for me is I haven't actually watched the match back again I, I haven't no. been able to bring myself to do it so I'm, I'm just going by what I saw live on 
the day, but but they were atrocious decisions. Um, was it um, Joel Ward steaming down the right-hand side? Got yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it was exactly the same thing. You know, Ward was clearly free, um, but in, and he pulled it back. Yeah, okay, he booked the player, but it's you know, you know, and, and Luce, you've, you've pointed out the the penalty for the challenge on Wilf as well. Yeah, I just think he's a joke, and I think that they're saying that referees can't um, officiate matches if they have an affiliation with either club. Well. From record, it's clear that Clattenburg doesn't like Palace for whatever reason, whether that's because he's from Newcastle and he doesn't like Pardew or whatever. And I just think that it needs to be reviewed because there were several um, things in that match where Clattenburg made poor decisions. And, yeah, I know it's easy for us to say in retrospect, oh, he should have done this, he should have done that. But I just don't think it's fair. No, well, no, and again, like you say, you call it an affiliation. We, you know, we're, we are speculating, but you're, you're right in saying that the evidence does seem to back that up. I know you've got some stats on that, Patrick, and then Nick, you can jump in. Yeah, I don't know the exact number, but I know that they, there was one put out last week that we have failed to win, or failed to win any Premier League match that he's refereed for us, and United have won more than half of their matches. So, again, it may not be... Um, true as far as his bias because no, I, think... I, I can't prove that part but the stats prove that he doesn't do very well when we were very for us in the yeah. Premier League that is not just uh, not the playoffs obviously yeah, no, I think wasn't it didn't we beat Norwich as well recently with him and was he in charge for that game was it him I thought Oliver was that game wasn't he oh, I thought it was too let's I'm look it up that. and I'll get back all right good <laughs> go on Nick I was I was just going to allude to what Patrick said about the Premier League. I mean, it's, it's probably cost us a few hundred pound, thousand pounds in league sp- places with, with decisions that have gone against us through the season. What he done wrong? <laughs> good good words, Nick. Um, no, look, I, we, we've we've talked about him before, and and the set, and I've, I said it in the in the preview. He's the only referee I know with with his own charm, and he probably loves it. Um, it it's too it happens too often. Um, against us and I don't know if any other clubs have the same perception of him I guess they probably do um, and whether or not you know it, it's incompetence you you would think it can't be if he's being picked as the, the best referee in this country and being asked to officiate top games and obviously this all sounds like a horrendous bit of this and to some degree it is bitterness because you know who, who knows what would have happened in that game had we rightfully been, uh, Wickham been allowed to play on and put the ball in the net well he, he did put the ball in the net you know, who knows what would have happened if Joel Ward had been allowed to play on? Who knows what would have happened if we'd got that penalty and scored it? You know, we we could have been three up at half-time, you know, and you can't tell me they're definitely going to come back from that. So, you know, it, it, it matters. It matters to us. There's a people who have paid hundreds of pounds for tickets to go and watch their game. And the very least we can expect is for a referee to be fair and impartial and you know, he's he's basically I've said this before about a lot of refs, but he's either incompetent or he's a cheat, and he's a, he can pick whichever one he likes. I don't mind. You know, he, you, you know. You almost wonder if big games like the FA Cup final, we should actually get a ref from another country. I know they wouldn't be part of the FA, but they'd be you know a bit more kind of. I don't know. It's just an idea, along with the ladies and the uh, doing the fouls and whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's slightly it, more realistic than Joe's idea about old women working for the FA to review yellow cards, but. You know. <laughs> But honestly, it'd be one of those things, won't it? In about three or four years' time, where Joe will go, "See, I told you I was right," and they will do it. <laughs> yeah. The, the the thing is, though, we we can't. We 
we we can because we are, but we can't put all the blame on Clattenburg, can no, we? Of course you not. know, we, you know, we we could have we could have won that game. I think the biggest positive to come out of that was I I think it's the the best support that Wembley's seen. Yeah, I was gonna gonna definitely talk about that. The reaction to Palace fans and and not just about Palace fans by Palace fans, if you know what I mean. We haven't we haven't gone to Twitter and gone, oh look, we're amazing, aren't we? Or gone and written articles in national press about ourselves. It's other people saying, you know and that that video, that video that sweeps across from the Palace fans to the Man United fans just sort of shows you the the difference. And there was a brilliant article, I forget who wrote it, about He's talking about the fantastic display that the HF had, um, had, had put on. And he said, and you, then you pan across to the United fans and there's someone trying to bat a beach ball around. And that's that's and they, literally it. They, they had that big flag as well, didn't they, that had obviously been supplied by the club. I think that that's the difference between between Palace and other supporters. Is the likes of Leicester are providing the means for the support to do well. We're kind of DIY, aren't we? Yeah, well, yeah we are to a point, yeah. And it's, it's, the, it's coming from the fans, so I think it means more. And is it Arsenal that they have those flag wavers behind the goal, or is it Chelsea? Yeah, no, remember, I think it's, it's, I it's all work. Yeah, it is, yeah, orchestrated stuff like that. But that's what we, we get accused of that by other bitter clubs like Brian. Um, but no, look, it, it is what it is. You know, we, you know, we, we lost a game of football. Um, but it is, as, as Lucy's put in our chat, it was heartbreaking. It absolutely was. I mean, I was a proper child about it. I just kicked my seat and stormed off, didn't say <laughs> bye to anyone. So, as I was saying yesterday, Lucy, I stuck on the tube on the way home. I just suddenly went, oh, that was a bit, bit childish of me. <laughs> didn't, didn't really say anything to anyone and just went home. So. <laughs> I can understand why you did it though and um, you know it was such a it was such a good day in the build-up like the week before everybody was so excited and obviously we'd had the euphoria from the semi-finals so we were all pumped for it and we we kind of had so much belief that this could be could be our year and I think because we hadn't disgraced ourselves in the game and the support had been fantastic you know everything was a pro for us it was just it just wasn't meant to be and whether that was down to refereeing decisions or just the fact that Rooney was you know a fantastic player or just bad luck it was just it was so heartbreaking I've never cried so much at the end of a game it was just it was awful I cried when we lost in the replay in uh, 1990, but I was a lot younger then. Uh, um, but that said, I had a brilliant day out with my sons, um, and they'll remember it for the rest of their life. Yeah. And actually, had had we not got to the final, I think this end of season review would be a lot different, and we'd be talking about who our new manager was going to be next season. Yeah, well, I really do. Well, look, I, the thing I am. Um... The thing I took from it, right, is, is that a lot of people reacted badly to Man United fans gloating, right? Because in their heads, well, and rightly so, because we, you know, we it would have meant so much more to us than it did to them. And having them gloat was a bit like, well, of course you, it's a course you won. Look at how much money your squad cost. Look at, you, you know, you're a huge club. It would have been, you know, it would have been amazing if we won. For you, it's just this routine thing. So why are you gloating? But you know what? I think about it. I'd much rather be in a position where we're having Man United fans gloat at us for beating us in a final or something than, than have, you know, Brighton gloat at us because three out of four playoff games um, we'd failed to get promoted, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. We, we, it's progression. It's about, you know, we can, we can kind of look at, if you want to sort of get to that next level, you've got to look at a game like 
the, the FA Cup final and say we played really well and we were unlucky and, and take the you know the grief you get off the plastic Man United fans as like a badge of honour we were close we pushed them and they were lucky in the end they were lucky to get away with it they probably on the day were better than us and, and probably on the day just about shaded it to deserve it so in all honesty we can't really take it too hard it's just if you were at the game in particular it was just it was the moment from punch and scoring where you believed it and everyone looked at each other and everyone sort of was shaking their heads but we're, but we're also sort of nodding at each other going yeah we're going to do it we're actually going to do it um, Patrick obviously you came over from uh, from the US for that that moment when punch scored I guess you know you believed it at that point didn't you yeah I did and it was, it, was, it was funny because I debated back and forth whether I was going to actually fly over. Not because, unlike Nav, that I think I'm a jinx. I just felt like I had to be there because I, I wasn't able to make it to 1990. And previously, 76, I was a little bit too young in that semifinal. And uh, 95, again, I couldn't really fly over. So I said to myself, you know what, I, I was at semifinal for what? But I've got to come over. And, you know, the, the pre-match was so unbelievable. To be in that stadium and thinking I could be watching this on TV, but I'm actually here, was unbelievable. And then when Punchin did score... One, I was with my nephew, so I jumped to my nephew, we were hugging, you know, you're high-fiving people you don't even know next to you. And I looked up to the sky, because, you know, the Wembley has that big, you know, you can look up to the heavens. I said to myself, please, God, please. <laughs> I was like, I looked, at the, I looked at the clock, I said, oh, my God, we've got 10 minutes left or 11 minutes. I said, you know, please, I said, please, can we just hold on? And I'm not really sure if I actually, actually believed that, Chris, at any point, but, I, but it didn't matter. For that minute and a half, whatever, before Matt had tied the match, it was the best minute and a half I think I've ever felt in a football match in my life. It really was. It was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. The thing was, joy. It was unbridled. It was just goosebumps. It was joy. There were no tears yet because I wasn't there, but it was just unbelievably happy. And to see people around me going absolutely crazy, the sound was, it was, it was phenomenal. I, I'll never, ever, ever forget that feeling. I really won't. Do you want to, I'll sum you up the, um, the, the deep-rooted cynicism of me being a Palace fan, where well, okay. there exists in that moment of joy, right? Actually, right. not in that moment. At, on 79 minutes, I looked up and I was like, I looked at the scoreboard and it was us one nil up on 79 minutes. Right. I, took a pic- I took a picture of the scoreboard because I was like, any minute now. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> right in the middle of all that celebration and that moment, I was like, any minute now, that's going to change. I, I, dele- I deleted that picture on my way home because I felt like a twat for doing it. But <laughs> I, I you know, that. That, that is how deep-rooted it is. Are you like me? When, when, when games are nil-nil, I'm kind of all right with my nerves. But I'm actually more nervous when we go one nil up yep. than at any <laughs> yeah. other point. Yeah, yeah, definitely, mate, definitely. Um, this obviously we haven't got a huge amount of time to go through this, but um, what was when we were talking about how much it, it meant more to us as fans? But but look at the players as well. And I know you wanted to talk about that, Luce, because that was that's what set you off, wasn't it? Yeah, um, I was I was fine. Obviously, I was the whistle had gone, and I was fine. Well, I was obviously upset, but suddenly Joel Ward's face appeared on the big screen and he was crying and my little lip wobbled and then I saw Jedinak um, by the goal clapping the fans and he was visibly upset and then Milan just came over and there was and there's a, a picture going around on all you know social media of them hugging each other and it was a it was a long in, long embrace and that's just what get get me uh, got me crying because they were just you could see how much it meant to them and you know you didn't see like Rooney and that crying because they'd won you saw our boys crying because they hadn't won and all across the social media and the papers for 
the last few like days since the final, you could see how much it meant to them, and that just proves how, ironically, united um, we are as a club. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I think we're going to lose a few players in the transfer window, but that squad is so tight, and if anything, a loss brings them closer together and makes them stronger because they want to come back fighting. And I think yeah. it's going to be a massive, although it's it was not what we wanted, I think overall it might do us a massive favour. Yeah, well, we all said before, everyone was talking before, I was guilty of this myself, was saying, well, this is this might be the last chance for some of these players ever to play at Wembley. Mm. It might be the last chance we ever get to see our team in a final in our lifetimes, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. But, but then I, I think it was a comment that Damo made after. I can't remember the exact wording of it, so I'll have to paraphrase. But it was something along the lines of, you know, that wasn't our last opportunity. We'll come back next year. We'll be stronger and we'll have another go. So that's that kind of a thing. And it was just, yeah. actually, yeah. And then, and again, we mentioned this before, but it means more now because we, because we did go and lose. Yes. And it's when you look back at, at, at nineteen ninety, we we did our, it was our best ever season after we lost the FA Cup final. It doesn't have to follow that that the team falls apart and the manager you know can't pick them up and the players we get in aren't good enough and everyone has to retire or anything like that. We can we can go again next year and we can do better. You know, uh, we, yeah. we've set a precedent for that before. Who are the three players we're in for? That I keep seeing. Please and is, no. it, is it just transfer nonsense? Um, I just think I mean, at this stage on the, the sort of the, just the you know the 29th of May. I, I think yeah, it's too, early. it's too it's too early to be talking about who we're in for, who we're not in for. It's straight away you've got obviously agents trying to move players on. So I think we've been li- linked with Kulker, we've been linked with Barahino. Yeah, uh, Barahino. We've been linked with uh, Bentelab. Beg- it was all the bees, wasn't it? Uh, who yeah. else? I saw. Be- I saw Beg- 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 Gabbiadini as well, and I thought, no, surely he's too old now, and then it turns out it's a different one. It is a different one, yeah. Oh, it's not Marco Gabbiadini, Nick. Nick, it's a different Gabbiadini. Yeah. (laughs) I'm shocked, really. I thought he'd be coming back. He played so well the first time he played for us. I read it as Gabadon when I first saw it. I love it. But it's going to be a summer of that kind of stuff. You can already predict the... um, the kind of it's going to get to fever pitch, and there's going to be all sorts of people saying, "Oh, we're never spending any money. We're trying to do everything on the cheap, and all exactly. this kind of stuff." It's the same old stuff. It is every year, uh, but hopefully, hopefully, we'll get a um, we'll get a few few in early doors just to settle people down. And uh, we've, we have we've got to do we've got to do a lot to to even to sort of stay where we are. We've got to do an awful lot of work. I think. I mean, that's a fair comment, Patrick. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, uh, Nick made a good point. Had we not even got to the final, we might be looking at having a new manager right now. So I definitely think that the moves we make are going to be very important. We need to, you know, get a much bigger, a deeper squad and, uh, you know, kind of kick on. And as people said, if, if Kabai was the, was the impetus of getting, you know, bigger and better players, hopefully we'll get them this summer as opposed to last summer. Well, that was... Um, cool. Sorry, can we can we just talk about Kabai? Because I'm, I'm not convinced... By him, um, and actually, uh, uh, in the in the final, we we looked more like scoring once he'd come off. I know the punch, yeah, when he came off for him, but it's it, it's just that whole punch and Kabai. Can they play together? But there have been moments where he's shown that he's, he's worth all his money and is an international superstar. But other games, he he just seemed to disappear. Now, I don't I know, know I Nick, I don't want to go over old ground because we've talked about yeah. Dubai a lot throughout the course of the season. We've got a limited amount of time. But here's the last thing I want to talk about with the final because obviously the headline news being 
when the starting lineups were announced. Right. It was, so it was punching that went out. Um, we actually predicted it in our preview, and then we all said, "But we won't." But he won't do that. He'll play. <laughs> yep. He'll play. He'll drop Jedinak to the bench. But he didn't. He did exactly what we all said. So we can't really have a go at Pardew for it. <laughs> we, picked, we picked that exact team. But um, but and it's very easy to say. And obviously there is the, the suggestion, quite strong suggestion of a rift. I mean, Pardew suggested it himself by saying, "I don't." He didn't think Punchin's ever going to forgive him for it. Um, when Punchin scored, he quite obviously swore over at the bench. Um, so we don't really know what's going to happen there. But a lot of that does come from the fact that, that Kabai is the one who played it, played there because Jedinak was absolutely the right choice to play against Man United. Yep, with Fellaini, uh, and yep. Macar- M- MacArthur, it was box-to-box, busy, excellent player, um, and adds so much you know, in defence and attack. So really, if you're going to put Punchin into that team, it is Kabai that comes out sensationally you wouldn't think that you know mm. certainly when we signed him you'd never have thought well if I'm going to take a midfielder out it's not going to be Jednak or MacArthur it's going to be Kabai but when you look back that's probably the one change people would have said yeah we should have done that um, I hope I hope that um, I, you know I wouldn't be surprised to see Kabai go sorry Patrick go yeah but Chris the way that we played don't you think it would have been, would have been actually better to not play MacArthur and have Kabai drop deeper and have Punch and push forward? Because if you look at what he did, MacArthur's the one pushing forward. And when that happens, it never works out. He, listen, I love MacArthur as a player, but I like him deeper than as opposed to playing higher up the pitch. And I thought that in, at, in the final, it, he, didn't, he wasn't able to support um, Wickham as much as Punch and obviously does. And Punch obviously gets the ball to the wide players more. So I would have actually thought that had he dropped a player, it would have been MacArthur. As much as I like him and I like the way he and Kabai play, especially in the system that he tried to play in the first half. It's a, I think it's a trade-off, Patrick. That's the only reason, reason I could say that is right. I think there's a trade-off between what MacArthur gives you with, with the energy, energy yes. that, you, that you lose when, when punching would be in for him. Right. Um, and there were times when, without the ball, I felt that MacArthur was trying to stay close to matter, was trying to just, you know, really sort of congest that space in a way that Jason Punchin won't do. And I, I think that's, that's, bottom line is that's why Punchin wasn't in the team. It was for defensive reasons. And, and, it, and it showed in the two, you know, the people will say the two goals might have been down to him too also. So, I mean, I know yeah. what you're saying. So, you know, it's a tricky one, but you've got to feel for anyone who who doesn't start an FA Cup final. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And you can understand why he's, why he's frustrated. But, you know, I think in the cold light of day, light of day you, can, you can see quite clearly there's justification there for the decision that Pardew made. And as I said, from our perspective, all of us said it in the, in the previous show we did, we all picked that exact team with Punch and not in it. Um, and we were surprised when we did. So, um, there you go. Lucy, he didn't listen to us. Don't try and blame us. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, I guess, um, folks. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair enough. Um, all right, look, just this is a very, very quick chat about the the season as a whole, and it's going to be a really simple question. I'm going to ask it to you first, Nick. Was was it good enough this season? Not well. I I, I feel bad for saying not quite because we did get to the FA Cup final, but after the early season promise, whether teams found us out, whether it was down to injuries, whether it was down to poor management, I don't know, but the, I'd say no, because the second half of the season was unacceptable. Patrick? It's a very tricky question. Um, if you had told me, though, Chris, that we got the FA Cup final and stayed up, I'd have been happy with that. 
it's just a circumstance as to how it happened as far as, you know, the way we got off to the good start. Again, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think we definitely, we being the club and the manager, prioritized the FA Cup. Final is something we wanted to go for. So having said that, I have no problem with the way it worked out. Obviously, I wanted to win the FA Cup. It didn't work out. But I think it, it was disappointing. But again, tell me before the season, we stay up and we get the FA Cup final. We're taking it every single time. Luce, you, um, you were quite a, a disconsolate figure by the end of the season. Uh, was, was this season good enough, though, when you, when you look back with a bit of perspective and all that kind of stuff? Um, no, I don't think it was really, if we're going to be honest. I think we need to remove our FA Cup-tinted spectacles and have a look at where the issues are. Um, we obviously need to strengthen the squad somewhere getting new new blood and sort of improve in that area i mean like the guys have already said first half of the season was fantastic and we were a real 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 threat to clubs and then all of a sudden something happened and i think that that needs to be looked at and if we took the fa cup out of it you know it was really really poor and it's just not good enough not for not going into our fourth season in the Premiership. So yeah, I mean that 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 league form ultimately, but you you cannot dress it up in any other way. No. Um, since since the turn of the year, and that's that's the thing that I'll, I'll ask a question about it in a minute. But Nick, I know you want to jump in, quick. Yeah, just just a couple of things about the season. Um, when we were doing really well, uh, Pardew was talking about Europe, so it was parish a little bit, and I think maybe that was a bit of bit premature a bit like Pardew's dance when Punchin scored you know that came back to bite him on the bum so I'm just wondering whether we 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 got ahead of ourselves a little bit at that point in the season and and although we do need belief did we have too much belief I had, or, a, I had a bit of a debate I had a bit of a debate on Twitter after I said that in um in the previous show I said we got ahead of ourselves and I was and it was pointed out to me that you know you, you can't really say that when the club are encouraged you know when the chairman and the manager are encouraging us to, to dream of bigger things. And I'm like, well, I don't, I don't really mean it as a criticism, but I do think it's... we. If you think about the shows we were doing around that time and what we were talking about, and we were looking at the team that was played and thinking about how well it played. And when when these injuries happened and things like that, we just thought, we've got all these people to come in, though. It's all, it'll be fine. That That's where we got confident from. I think we overplayed the strength of our squad and, and it became apparent very very quickly that you know players weren't weren't perhaps up to what we thought they were um but also it's it's difficult when you when certainly for certain players when they don't have regular games you know there's there's a lot to look at in, in you know over the course of a season about why we had the sort of the, the the collapse that we did and it was it was a collapse and it's something that is um very much a habit of of Pardews in some in his teams, which I know we've talked about before, which is something that that does concern me. And it's how how do we, you know, and that, that leads me on to my my last sort of question about the season, really. And, and it's, you know, if if we um, if the season started tomorrow, where do you think we'd finish? Seventeenth, eighteenth, with the current squad healthy. Yeah. yeah, well, just just think about the season starts tomorrow as as we currently are, and things will play out as they will play out. You know, we might get injuries, we might not. We might get 
lose players in transfer windows. We might not. But basically, season starts tomorrow. Same manager, same team. And the three teams that are coming up are playing against those three teams, you're saying? Yeah, yeah why not? <laughs> I would say uh, probably about 15th. Mm. I, I, I ask you. Go on, actually, Nick. I'll give you a chance. What do you think? Yeah, I'd, I'd say mid-table because I think we'd, 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 we talk about swings and roundabouts with the luck and the referee decisions. I think it'd go more in our favour. Oh, well. I, I genuinely feel that if we started next season with the exact same squad we had now, based on league form, we would go down. Me too. I, I, I genuinely think that. And, and I, don't, I shouldn't think that way. Um. No, it's you know, and I and I don't want to sort of finish this conversation on a negative, you know, but that's that's how I currently feel, and that's why, quite rightly, Alan Pardew's been talking about, you know, we need some big names, we need to do some serious work. Steve Parrish has talked about it being a huge summer, but to give it some perspective and to sort of end on a positive for it, you know, this is unprecedented for us. This is you know, this is the yep. fourth year in the top division. This is this is a huge opportunity for us, and if we just do that 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 little thing of getting getting things ro- more things right than we get wrong over the course of the summer just you know pick a couple of absolute gems of players who, who fit into how we want to play next season you know replace people who need replacing but don't break that spirit if we can do that right over the course of the summer you know next season who says we can't emulate or even exceed what what the team did in, in 90 after losing the, the, the last final and, and who says we can't do what Leicester did you know, Leicester have proven what you can do. Yeah, but they, they didn't sign any big names. They, they, they had Ranieri, who was astute in the transfer market, and he bought names that weren't that big. Mares, you know, he, he got them so cheap. He, he didn't he buy Mares. Mares was only there. He was only but, there. Oh, sorry, yeah, but it's... What, Kante? Yeah. <laughs> but my point, I mean, listen, Nick, you make a good point. I mean, Leicester, let me tell you, I think Leicester is a, uh, is a one-off. I and think if you, look at, if you look at the top of the... Premier League now with people like Mourinho and uh, you know the new manager at Chelsea and obviously a new manager at Manchester City I mean it's going to be there's no chance someone does that in, 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 our, in, in the next 25 years but you know what fair credit to them and I hope that we do well next year but I think still, well, Leicester is going to be something that won't happen again despite the fact the money that's being dillied about by everybody is great because everyone's going to have a, a better chance to basically compete I think the Leicester story is a great one and won't happen again well I, you know, I refuse to believe that Patrick is going to be it's going to happen to us next year. Definitely. Yes, indeed. Oh, okay. I, in fact, I promise everyone listening to this today, <laughs> we will win the Premier League next year and the FA <laughs> Cup. I'm saying we win the League Cup and get to Europe and finish fifteenth. Uh, that's a rubbish promise. Um, <laughs> well, that's uh, that was our opinion of what happened during the course of the season, and now with your opinions, it's forward reviews. Forward reviews. Tom Flatty, good for three minutes. That's what she said. Darren DC Chandler, up, down, up, down. That's what she said. James Sorby, stayed up, FA Cup. That's what she said. Alan Connolly, cup run, save Pardew. That's what she said. Doesn't want to work, does it? Um, <laughs> Robert Nestor, <laughs> Bain Hennessy, horror show. Dan Skipsey, cliche of two halves. Loose. Glad it's all over. Zulu, Echo, Romeo, Oscar, better off with Dougie. Anthony Sheffield, turned up for half. Alex McKeon, Patrick Bamford, lucky charm. 
my friend Nev, Patrick ruined our season. <laughs> ben Flurry, upstairs 2015, downstairs 2016. Cole Mortimer, Wembley twice and safe. S at Ndi. It certainly wasn't boring. Mark, close, but no cigar. Ben Long, the roller coaster rumbles on. Review the game next week by tweeting hashtag forward review to add whole radio. So anyway, uh, just get my, my thanks out of the way. Um, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to try and go through individual names and whatever, but everyone who contributed, both in terms of uh, production, presenters, um, and most importantly, listeners as well, um, thank you so much for everything this year. Um, it's, it's, been, it's been a good season for us. I think we've, been, we've enjoyed ourselves, but it was very, very tricky during, the, um, during that poor run. But I think we just about managed to, uh, to get through okay. So look, um, there's loads and loads and loads of changes um, that, are, that are happening that we're, that we're getting involved in. We've got a brand new website, hlradio.net. Um, Mikey's done an awful lot of work on that, so, so get involved there, and that'll, that'll evolve, uh, evolve throughout the, uh, the course of the summer and all of next season as well, and um, give you a, sort of a, a bit more of an insight into, into who we are and what we do. Um, so really, all there is to, to say now is that, um, that we've got Dougie coming up, um, and all I want to say about it really is just it's a it's a long interview um it will fly by because it's it's really good stuff don't take anything out of context it's so easy to do to listen to one thing that gets said and think i'm going to talk about that and not have the context of the conversation listen to everything he says i I think listen to it twice personally (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. i'm not just saying that i think it really helps once you you listen to it twice um I i really hope that people you know people take into account who who it is and you know and, and accept the things that he's saying and respect the things that he's saying as well um i think it was a it was a really positive nice interview to do you know i i had perhaps a perception of dougie that was incorrect um, um i didn't you know you know i had so much time and respect for the guy but i but he was he's just so nice so pleasant to talk to funny he's a funny guy and um, there's a lot of laughs in there as well so i'm sure you'll enjoy it. obviously if any People are listening in and want to use part of it um, or for, for any kind of media purposes and all that sort of stuff. Just make sure you credit us. Um, you know, there's a history of some of our stuff appearing and other things uncredited, which gets on our nerves. Uh, so polite, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. I call mm-hmm. a bit angry at the end there. Anyway, Dougie's coming up. I uh, hope you enjoy and join us next season for much more of the same. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
Homesdale Radio. Football Blogging Award Finalist 2015. www.holradio.net Thank you so much for joining us, obviously. Uh, I've got Terence and, and, and Matt, who is also is going to be called Albert for the sake of this interview. That's going to confuse Matt. <laughs> that's, le- that's legal purposes, Dougie. Yeah. Don't, don't worry about <laughs> it. No problem. Um, but obviously, yeah, fantastic to get a chance to speak to you. And um, we're, we're, the best place to start for, for us, I think, is... Uh, was you at the uh, FA Cup final as a, as a Palace supporter I with was. your family? I was. I, I um, my two, well, my, my all my kids are Palace fans. My two young boys in particular who have been going to Palace, obviously for the reasons I've been going for many years. Uh, promised them if they get to the final, take them. So we did. We taken them. Uh, fantastic day. Really enjoyed it. Disappointing result. I had to pick the kids up after the game and explain to them nothing always goes your way. But, you know, I thought it was, a, it was a, a fantastic occasion. Palace fans, as they did, especially at Wembley, never let themselves down. Uh, the game could have went either way. And unfortunately for us, it just didn't quite go our way. It did remind me, listen, guys, I don't know the dates. I'm, I don't really like to look back at all. But when I first walked out at Wembley many years ago for Palace against Leicester, and, they, and and I'd never experienced Crystal Palace being at Wembley. I never knew what it was all about. I just thought I played the, I played for the club at Sellers Park. That's what it is. I walked out at Wembley against Leicester in the 19th, I'm guessing, 96, whatever it was, final, uh, the championship final. And the fantastic atmosphere really taking my breath away a little bit. And it reminded me of that. It reminded me that I was right into the Palace end. It was a great occasion. Uh, obviously, it was disappointing at the end. And I did feel for, for the you know, for the Paris players in terms of, you know, they gave it everything, but, you know, as a day for me and my family, really enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, we're struggling to go over the heartbreak, I think, and mm. it's, I mean, you talk about uh, playing mm. Leicester at Wembley as well, and um, Claridge, Claridge's shin comes to mind, that was another day that was the same. That's, uh, you know, that's, that's uh, I do know how it is as a, as a, as a player there, it is devastating, I see some of the, the, the lads after the game sort of move disappointed and understand them, but, and it is a real hard one to go over. Real, real hard one to go over. But, you know, I, I'm sure in this interview, you get to know him a little bit. I, I'm not really a guy that looks back. You know, I, I kind of think to myself, well, you know what? Premiership safety, uh, strong team, FA Cup finalist. You know what I mean? Guys, let's just think back four or five years ago when it was, <laughs> it wasn't that. So I'm a kind of guy that looks forward. Disappointing as it was, loads more to come. Loads of encouraging signs. Players are still young. You know, got a young group of players there. So, it is uh, for me exciting times uh, to be to to to, to be where the Crystal Palace is. Yeah, Dougie. A lot has been made of the um, the refer- some of the refereeing decisions in that game. I mean, I I don't see what Palace could have done more tactically, to be honest, to to give a better impression of themselves. Is there anything you might have done differently from from a, from a team point of view, or can we really look at that refereeing performance? And well, I, get some blame no, on that? listen, I don't. No, I don't. I won't, I'm not even interested in the referee. That's no. Remember, one of my manager of our football club, I try my best not to talk about referees because it's, it's you know they're in a very very difficult decision decision-making process to make. It's a cup final. I think overall, you know, I don't know what ones you're talking about, but we can go through them. I ain't really interested how we talk about I think to myself, if I talk about Crystal Pass, the football team, Al Pazza said he's it very well. Only he knew what he asked in his team and, and, and his team delivered that, uh, whatever he asked for. If you're asking me personally, I don't think there was a lot more they could have done. 
I think I would even, I think a little bit more hold up play for the from the boy corner up front would have been more helpful from them. Uh, I thought Sarhan Balassi taking too long to get into the game. And once they were into the game after 25 minutes, they really started really pushing Man United back. So really, you know that that was the that was the disappointment of the first half. But created opportunities, defended very well. Uh, goalkeeper looks like, goalkeeper looks like he's getting better every time. Two fullbacks look reasonably solid. Lots of pluses, guys. It's a cup final. It could have went either way. They gave it everything. The fans gave it everything. It is disappointing, but I think in the big scheme of things, as I say to you guys, Premiership, the FA Cup final, you know, they are heading in the right direction. I think, they, yeah, I think we all agree with that on the whole, don't we, boys, despite the disappointment? Yeah, yeah, and I'll be, I think we'll be a little bit more philosophical about it in a couple of weeks. Mm. <laughs> but, um, yeah. But, you know. Well, you will be, guys. You, you will be. But, you know, if you actually pull back a little bit, you know, and I think that's where... No, my advice. That's wrong. My 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 knowing of Crystal Palace is just let's not just time run a little bit. Let's just walk a little bit. Let's just one step at a time. You know, now that's the third season of the Premiership, uh, being in the FA Cup final. You know, let's let's just keep on moving forward. Is 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 would be my thing. You know, hopefully, you know, these guys get good signings in the summer. Build on what you had. Keep fit, Balassi. Keep fit, Asaha. You know, I thought Mary Jedinite once again was, you know, was a man out in the middle of the park. Yeah, you, you're going to get better. Just keep on adding the quality. Okay. Well, unless uh, Terence has got anything on that, I'll um, I'll move on to uh, talk a little bit about you at the um, at the start of your of your life, really, and, and what you did there. Terence, anything? Um, talking of signings, any recommendations? You've brought some <laughs> good ones in. Yeah. Again, I've got lots of recommendations, but I don't. It's just difficult because you don't know. I don't see Crystal Palace week every week out. So I don't really know what you know what what needs improving. Uh, you know, it's difficult with the budgets, things like that. You know, I had a different. When me and Steve Palace and the board sat down at the beginning of the summer, we we were playing from a different ball game. You know, we were playing on the you know cut on the ground here and there and and. and Nicking the free transfers and wheeling and dealing a little bit, you know, I think the the, the, the games change a little bit well in terms of what what market you're looking in. And then, for, unfortunately for myself, I'm not in that market, <laughs> and that's just so. Therefore, I wouldn't and I, I wouldn't know that. But I would I would I would always recommend the right characters. You know, if you can. Neil Warlock said to me one time, true story. He gave me the job doing the reserves uh, at Crystal Palace, and I was still playing at the time. And, and I was doing the reserves and I sent the scout one day and he said, go, go and find me a winner. And I said to him, naively, what, what position? What? He said, just go and find me a winner. And I said, well, Gaffer, what does a winner look like? He said, if you don't know what a winner looks like, son, you won't be a manager. So three or four games later, I'm thinking, I wonder what you're looking like. I wonder what you really mean. Do you understand you know, what, what, what he was coming from, what, what he meant? And then that is where I seen Damien Delaney. And Damien Delaney at the time was playing at Ipswich, and I thought, right, I understand what it means. Technically not brilliant. You know, pace-wise, okay, but he's a winner. And he got his head and everything, and he won everything. And that, that is where that story comes from, from me wanting to tell me that. So, Crystal Palace, in the summer, my suggestion, go and send a couple of winners, go and send a couple of people that want to actually improve the football club and the football team and move up. That's, that would be my suggestions. That sort of ties into my sort of next question for you, Dougie. Looking at the <laughs> looking at the the side that 
start of the FA Cup final, you know, a lot, a lot of those players were, were brought in by yourself and, you know, have been there ever mm. since. Does that, does that give you a sense of pride, you know, almost like a, in a paternal way, seeing that come to fruition? Oh, listen, I'm very, very proud of, very proud, you know, listen, not just me, big Tony Popper, this at the time, cut slim at the time, uh, Lenny Longs, David Slanders, my, my scout, and trusted scout at the time, and three or four of us, you know, we really, really worked hard to to bring in players. Yeah, listen, not, they're not all successful. There's one or two that didn't quite make the grade. And listen, and, and I've got to give Steve Paris a lot of credit for that because we bounced ideas off each other in terms of, you know, what we could bring in and on budget and, you know, looking at oh, maybe sellable assets and things like that. So we, we, I am very proud of, you know, the, the job that was done in terms of recruitment and coming away from... I think a relegation side in fact you know that's I'm very proud of that and you know that's 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 something of you know moving the club away from in terms of signings I'm, I'm, I'm happy with you know and, and that, that and, and that's the that's the only thing I'll kind of look back on seeing certain players I seen Joe Ward guys I seen Joe Ward is the number 10 for Portsmouth I seen Joe Ward played number 10 and my scout said to him do you think we can do you think we can be a replacement for Clowney and, and they looked at him four or five times. Every time I watched him play, he was a number ten or a centre midfielder. So, you know, to to make that call and buy Joe Ward and, and start to turn him into a right back was, you know, that's that's these small things, guys. Yeah, I, I am proud of that. Okay, great. All right, so uh, I'm going to steam in now and jump, jump us back to um, to your to your early life, really. Uh, what what was it that first made you want to become a footballer, Dougie? <laughs> That's all you done when I when I grew up. That's that's what you done. You know you watch you know Kendall Gleish and people like that. Uh, you know that that you know that, that's what you done growing up in Glasgow in the, in the concrete streets. You know there wasn't there wasn't a lot to do. I, I played. I had a little bit of little bit of natural ability, and I kind of just as I grew a little bit older, my teenagers, I kind of you know, knew what it was like. I enjoyed actually training. I enjoyed the training aspect of it and walking. So that kind of helped me through, you know, through certain parts of football and lucky enough to get the opportunity to leave, play for Scotland schoolboys. The only reason I got that is because, again, trained very hard most nights, you know, running whatever it was and got the opportunity to come to Queen's Park Rangers. Spent... Again, guys, you're asking me, you're asking me stuff that I don't really like to look back. Spent four years there, learning from Don Howe, Dave Six, and Roger Cross, Bobby Bobby Ross. A sixteen-year-old lad coming from Glasgow who natural ability, little bit fitness, but not any coaching. To get coached by Don Howe, then later on Jerry Francis and Roger Cross was Mike Kelly, Des Dopin was pretty much what made me. This is why, guys, I'm a huge believer in coaching. Huge believer in it, you know, and how you coach. And, and Chris Apart to the fact I've got a fantastic philosophy. You know, I was, I know, inside out. I've been coaching the 12s, 13s, right up to the reserves in the first team. That, and, and Gary, as I understand it as well, how you actually train them and how the week's scheduled and how it's the four training sessions you do a week. You know, there's, I don't know if it's changed now, but when I was there for a long, long time, at least two of them, and Wilfred learns this way, at least two of them, are, you've got to play with freedom. You've got to play in the cages, you've got to get knocked, you've got to get up, you've got to get beat, you've got to win. You've got to just play natural football. The other two nights are dedicated on coaching, on, you know, positions, 
on technical ability in that position you need, on structure of a team. And then as you start getting through 14, 15, 16, you learn the importance of playmaking a team and when to release it and when to not. The two of them go hard in hand. Well, when I come at 16, I had the natural ability in the streets, running around playing, beating everybody and things like that. The Don Howes of this world, God bless him, Dave Sexton's told me the importance, Roger Cross, the importance, and Jerry Fancy, even the importance of a team structure and what is needed in certain, certain uh, situations within that team on and off the ball. So that gave me a great opportunity and a great learning curve. And all I really done from 16 to 19 was train, double session. Again, it's not feeling sorry for me because I actually loved it. Train, morning, train afternoon, eat, go to bed, times that by three years, guys, and I mean that, wake up at 19, three years later, feeling, you know, you've got an opportunity to, to have a career and have a living. Didn't quite make it Queen's Park Rangers. Uh, I will rattle on a little bit here because I always find this story fascinating. I went, Jerry Fancy told me that there was, Dougie, we're, we're going to give you a new contract. Uh, I refused to sign it. I wanted to play first in football, so he said to me, okay, I've done a deal with seven clubs, Crew, Cambridge, Fulham, Barnet, whatever the time, seven of them. I went and spoke to Fulham, and at the time was managed by Ray Lewington. Okay? So I've decided I'm going to leave Queen's Park Rangers to play football. I've spoke to a few few managers. I've spoke to Ray Lewington. I decide I'm going to join them. I go on a week's holiday, and... Uh, when I come back, Ray Lintons went to Crystal Palace. So I ended up going to Barnet for a year, scored a few goals, and a year later, come to Crystal Palace with Ray Lintons in charge, buy me for X amount of money. And that's how the journey started. Fantastic. How much has um, the approach of people like uh, like Don Howe changed? Well, you know, coaches today that much different? Oh, very, very good question. Uh, yeah, there is different different coaches. There are there is different coaches now. You see, the game is more tactical, uh, so you'll get coaches a little bit take themselves a little bit too serious. And I'm one of them. Don't get me wrong. Especially Crystal Palace, too, too much self-importance, too much seriousness. That's something that I've learned over the years. That you've got to maybe be a little bit more humble in terms of how you, what you're doing. In fact, coaches back then were coaches and I mean that that were tracksuit training ground day in day out with kids from 16 to the first team players remember the first team players had players like Les Ferdinand Mark Falco Rod Weather Ray Wilkins Andy Sitton Paul Parker there was a fantastic group of players that Don Howe would integrate younger players with and coach them and have that real passion I think a coach's role these days is well, a manager's role, you've got that much to manage. It's you, you pretty much it's a relief when you get your tracks on and go into coaching. And, I, and I'm a big believer in bringing in sport directors of this country because, you know, how I go back to fair about coaching. Now, you know, if you, if, you, if that's in your if, you, if you're a teacher or a coach deep down, you want to go to training ground. There's so many aspects of football these days that keep you away from it. Uh, and that happened at Bolton, and it certainly happened at Northern Forest, where I have to spend more of my time in the office of Alan actually coaching. And, and thankfully, when I was at Crystal Palace, we were just growing. That administration, there was not a lot to deal with, to be honest with you. What there was to deal with, Phil Alexander dealt with it. Steve Parrish touched on certain things that needed to be corrected. 
and I was just out uh, scouting or coaching. Uh, so, so, so certainly to answer, answer your question, Don Howe was the start of me actually learning about what coaching is. Now everybody could do a training session, but there's a difference between a training session and a coaching session. Training sessions, guys, you put the players on, you blow the whistle, you let them run around and play and have a good time, which there is some points of the season that's needed. And there's coaching sessions where it's structured and you're working a team, you're working in, you know, you're trying to get everybody to think the same way, you're making sure everybody understands on and off the ball. And there were certain aspects in the game I've seen on Saturday, you know, a very, a very well-drilled Crystal Palace team. You know, you've got good characters in there that understand the game as well, which, 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 which helps as well, you know, when, when certain, certain times get tough. Definitely. Okay, cheers for that. I um, just want to give the Albert or Terence a chance to jump in there before I move us on a little bit. Yeah, when you first came to Palace, did you did you have any sort of preconceptions of the club? You know, obviously you came, you know, a few years after what would be deemed our golden period. Did you have any sort of preconceptions? Uh, 1993, seeing Wright score against Chris, uh, against Queens Park Rangers, and I was in the stand as an apprentice. He was jumping on the cages after the one and goal. I thought, all oh, right, he's not bad. Him, it's a good team. Where is it, South London? That particular year, I played against the youth team, the Palace youth team. So, you know, I knew of, I knew all of them. I knew who the players were. I knew actually a couple of years before, you know, what they were doing, and as you said, the golden kind of years. I knew what they were all about. Uh, when I went to <laughs> when I went to sign it, I got a phone call on the I don't know, during the week, Tuesday night, let's like, say. From the Barnet chairman saying, "Listen, we've just sold you Crystal Palace, uh, you know." And I'm talking, guys, nearly midnight. We've just sold you Crystal Palace. You got to be down there for a medical at seven thirty in the morning. Uh, I was living in West London at the time. I had a map out. Certainly, I wasn't even born yet, guys. I had a map. <laughs> I was looking. I was thinking, Jesus Christ. So the first time I actually thought, "What? Well, this is quite far." Was when I actually was getting. So I knew the team, but this is quite far. Needless to say, I was two hours late. I walked in, I was running in 25, I was two hours late, guys named Bert, and I walked in, and Ron Ron said to me, where have you been? And I, 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 not, yeah, maybe a little bit cheekily, but not in this way, said, you're lucky I'm here. Ron knows <laughs> raised his eyebrows, and Ron knows, the truth story, Ron knows he raised his eyebrows, and gave a little chuckle, and said, I, I, I like that, son, sit down. And that was actually meaning the N25 traffic, so anyway, that, that, that's how we started. And he actually, we, we always actually kept in touch with him right up until unfortunately he died because of that that moment. We always went back to that little moment. That's great. Guys, uh, if I'm rambling on too much, you just cut No, me no, the, the trouble you're going to have is we're going to be sitting here in, in silence, transfixed with what you're saying. Because <laughs> um, now um, it's, been, it's brilliant stuff. Sorry, Jared, no, that's right. Um, when you did come, 20 goals in the first season, were you surprised with how successful you were after making the big step no, up? No, guys, I was, um, again, you know, not a lot of people do And I don't do this kind of interviews of this, you know, but, I, you know, when, the, when a very dear friend, huge Crystal Palace fan asked me last week, you know, with, with, with a touch on these guys, I thought they kind of might be right just to sort of, you know, maybe open up a little bit. I was, maybe still, I'm a very, very confident person, especially when I was on the pitch. You know, I was young, I was very, very fit. I'd come from the back of playing at Queen's Park Rangers with wonderful players. People don't forget that, you know, I trained with players, guys, you know, 
let's fair man, as I say, Paul Park and the centres it was international players. So when I went to Barnet for a year and scored a few goals that year, I come because of past very, very confident. Ray Lewington, Stevie Cutler was in the background at the time, Peter Nicholas was there. It was a it was a kinda it was a very relaxed atmosphere and I kinda enjoyed that a little bit. You know, a couple of my mates there, David Hopkins were there, so I was very confident. Uh, in my ability. I hadn't scored for a few games, I don't think, until I turned up. And then, you know, when I got a couple of goals, I was very confident. Crystal Palace fans, I don't know what happened, but right from the off, you know, we had a fantastic relationship. Uh, you know, and I don't really know where it was born from. I just I just really felt at home. Uh, I, I believe in that I liked my style, so therefore, you know, I enjoyed playing there. And, uh, and I kind of, and, and I was a bit cocky, so that kind of, all that kind of, and one I was never really afraid of. I'm never really surprised. Hopefully, it didn't come across guys too uh, arrogant, but that's how it was back then. Or it's maybe still is. Well, you obviously you've got to have that degree of confidence to, to succeed in football, haven't you? You see it a lot with mm. people, a lot of players with tremendous amount of talent. But if they don't quite have that that bit extra, they don't they don't succeed, do they? And I think yeah. the sort of the sort of player that you were, Dougie. You know, you were very technically, and you know what I would call a flair player. You know, you were very mm. you know, technically astute, but you were, you always tried something, you know, a, a bit special. And, you know, you, I think you have to. Yeah. Chris says you have to have that confidence to try and pull those things off. I think we're seeing yeah. something similar with Zaha and Balassi. Listen, guys, and for all the young listeners out there, practice. You know, it wasn't there wasn't something. There was a little bit of ability there, but there was a practice and practice and practice. Then when you practice, you're confident that. You know, in situations you can, you know, you can control the ball or you can pull the ball down. Or, you know, and that's that's always been my my kind of attitude. My attitude is, well, look, if I don't know how to do it, I'll go and learn. You know, and and, and that's probably in the management situation as well. You know, and we'll probably got on that a little bit later. If you don't know, you just go and learn. Now, the the confidence comes from actually obviously scoring goals and and the way you go, you feel very at home. Uh, I, I, I remember, in fact, and this, this, this is this is in fact, I fast forward guys a little bit when I do become a manager because I learned when a player is playing, it's got ability but not playing with confidence. I was playing at Martin Forest at the time, and for the life of me, I couldn't score and I couldn't beat a man. I think I just don't know quite what it was. I was training as hard as I could, 23, 24. I played on a Saturday. Rubbish got taken off as usual. No good. I think I just I don't know what's going here. I got a call from Simon Jordan, Chester Palace, wanted to come back. I was in that motorway and, and you know, speeding ticket a lot. I played on a Tuesday night against Grimsby, three or four days later, and I was a different player. I was now going, I was now having a call to go by somebody, have a shot from whatever angle. So when I go and sign up with a guy, I'm looking also and thinking, you know what, he's got ability, he's got this, he's got that, he's fit. He's just not a fit. You know, and sometimes players are just unfortunately not a fit. A manager or a player, in fact, not a fit for that particular club. That for that for what for whatever reason just doesn't fit. The chemistry's not there, and that's something. That, and I bring that my thought process when I was a player into my coaching and management, and especially when I'm signing players. You know, and Balassi is a great, fantastic story. You know, he's at the Bristol. I've known him for years, but I've watched him at Barn. I've watched him a few times. And he was at Bristol City, and I was watching them all pre-season, and he was he was he was very very average guys, but I knew there was a player in there, and he, and there was a there was a burning desire to do well for himself. I knew he was getting extra training in the afternoons, his own sort of particular coach. 
So when I seen him in pre-season, he played a pre-season game for actually Bristol, Bristol City's reserves. He was he wasn't very good, but I knew if I could get him in an environment that pushed him and thrived him and gave him an opportunity, then I believe because of that story, my story, then you would become you would get the player up there because I've seen a player him before in certain games, you know, at Barn especially. Uh, so I I kind of used that. Uh, rewind 20 years to, to, to back his sign players as well that's I mean that's amazing to hear because obviously fans always talk about you know is is that guy a Palace player you know he's okay he's this he's that but is he a Palace player but obviously there is something you're saying there's something very much to that you know is it, is it always is it always something that's tangible can you go out and say that is, that's definitely it or is it you no know, I suppose what I'm asking is does it change tangible. I don't think it changes, guys. Look, I can't answer you every question about every single player. Why does players go to Real Madrid and be successful? Some players do, some players don't. Certainly not tangible. And I think, you know, it's like a chemistry. You know, there's a there's a gut instinct born out of your knowledge of maybe the area or your your relationship with fans or chairmen or managers or coaches or kit men. That's it. All goes down. To, it boils into that. You know, it, it it really does. You know, there's not. You know. All I try to do when I take in the manager's job at Crystal Palace, all I try to do is just build an environment, guys. Uh, and the culture was made out of hard work. You know, people see me, oh, they said the culture. The culture was just hard work. The culture was just throwing everything at it, turning up every minute of the day, asking every player to turn up every minute, training very hard, uh, keeping everybody away from the training grounds. I banned everybody. You know, I was a, I was a Again, Steve Paris and me laugh about it, but I'd ban everybody. Nobody's allowed in my training ground. Don't care who you are, don't care who you used to be, I don't care what agent you are, get out of my training ground. This is mine. In fact, Steve Paris, in fact, you know, it tends to see I'm working, you know, I understand now that's probably not the best thing to do, but it was, that was born, the culture was born, there was a hard work, because I didn't want anybody to fail because uh, the chemistry wasn't right. So it's not tangible, it's the feeling you get. I don't know, guys. When you walk into a wine bar, I'm sure if you do that, or you walk into a, <laughs> or you walk into a pub, or you walk into somewhere where you think, oh, this is nice. This is I tend to, I tend to run into those. <laughs> yeah, you run in there, or a restaurant you might run into, or a Burger King, or whatever you run into, you think, oh, this is this is nice. That's that's what I'm trying to say. To you. Okay, um, a little bit of a diversion now. Uh, in terms, it's a sort of fairly um, fairly common question, really. But but who's the best player you played with, and the best player you played against? Best player against by far is Tony Adams, uh, by far. Uh, I was not a forest. I thought I was not bad. Yeah, I was mid-20s. I was, I was in the premiership at the time. And it, you know what? It was just an education, guys. It was an education on what not to do for me. <laughs> so here's me being coached, me being trained, me being up to a certain standard. And I come up against Tony Adams. <laughs> He just, he just, you know, it's a great learning curve because later in life, I try to get young strikers to try and position the defender by your movement. So you can position them, uh, you know, by your movement, either by taking a shot to get to come with you, whatever. Now, Tony Adams is the defender position me because of his position. So he taking his position in relation to the ball and it made me stand in a certain way that I had pretty much no chance of ever getting it. Because if I got it short, he was up my backside, taking it off me. If I went long, you know, he was actually comfortably heading it back to the goalkeeper, seeming whoever it was. So, by far, now there's a lot of good players I play against. 
but he was just that little bit above everyone in terms of technical ability, control on his back four, not wanting to push up. Uh, I played against him a few times and pretty much dreaded it. What about... Best um, player? Oh, real hard one. Oh, real, real hard one, guys. Again, you got me in a very good night tonight. I'm actually, I'm actually quite relaxed in life these days. I probably would have answered this a few years ago. <laughs> I don't look back too much, so I can't, I've not got one at the top of my head. I'm not kind of... You played in Lombardo, right? Lombardo was good. He was good. He was, uh, he was good. He was... He was different. He come from a background where he, yeah, uh, he, uh, you know, on the international stage, he kind of knew what he was doing. Ian Wright was good. Oh, I played it. I played it not in Forest. Ian Wright, movement, dedication, enthusiasm. This is what you used to do, Ian Wright. You do shooting practice. Be a line of you four or five, you six, you seven shots. He'd hit his shot keep a save but probably go in the back of the net he'd run and get his ball and go to the front of the queue and say right you've got to go to the back and there's a queue he said I don't know I'm in the queue missing my profession to go to the front of the queue he said well you're actually very close to nearly actually said and say right come on this, 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 got to be a, this is my profession as well so it wasn't it wasn't of any malice or anything it was just I've got to get to the front of the queue so right, I've just been waiting a couple of minutes with my turn, and then he'd go, and he'd repeat it, he'd repeat it, repeat it. <laughs> Dedication was 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 wonderful. Uh, yeah, Van Hondonk was very good, guys. You know, he's he's a wonderful player to play with. In fact, the best player of actually partnership wise was him because he was the only person that allowed me to play number nine, which truly I wanted to play. All my career, I was always asked to play number ten and come and get the ball, but I truly wanted to be a number nine that sniffed goals and he was the only person I actually played with it, the technical ability to find a way pass uh, and I enjoyed probably my time with him uh, more and I scored both the premiership for Forrest that year more, more because of him so there's three players there Lombardo Wright and Van Hondonk who are players that were a lot lot better than me and therefore I admired them and probably upped my game a little bit yeah, some good, some good names. Um, mm. During your second spell at Palace, I mean, you, you saw a yeah. lot of managerial changes. I mean, the the, the list yeah. is as long as my arm. I think uh, yeah. argu arguably the most significant of those was when um, Steve Bruce left and eventually Trevor Francis mm. came in. Um, yep. How was it as a player to sort of have a winning formula change so drastically? You know, is that how does that affect you from going well, from or taking that momentum well, away? Difficult one here to answer, guys. Again, you know, it's, it's, I'm going to keep certain things private because it's, it's not, you know, what happens in certain dress rooms you need to keep there. Uh, what I will say about Trevor Francis, there wasn't a lot of people that gave him the opportunity to succeed. You know, he come in and uh, it was very difficult because we did admire Steve Bruce's way of playing. Uh, in fact, the, 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 again, I learnt from this. We had a decent relationship. I, I was okay with him. I'm unsure if he liked my style, which is fine. That's the way it goes in life. I've heard many, many people say that to me. So I can accept that. But there was one thing that I felt that, you know, when he brought an I can buy, uh, you know, it wasn't what he said. It was the actions that he'd done by playing him in front of maybe Clinton and myself or Jovan who did it. The actions spoke a lot louder than words. And that kind of gave us, I wouldn't say... Call. It kind of just dented our confidence a little bit to say, well, we were always playing. 
you know, what, what's going on here? And I just felt that was a mistake that he made. But but actually, as a as a guy and as a person, you know, I, I was fine with him. I was fine. But I think by that action, bringing in that player, which actually I, I actually understand as a manager how he would do that, but you know, maybe explaining that you know you're not going to play, you're going to play within a better way of doing it rather than just bring them in. So the the, the professional relationship was dented, I think, with the three of us, and hence. I think the second part of the season we didn't score as many goals. Uh, Bruce was a different kind of manager. Bruce was pretty much uh, didn't say a lot to you. Trained you during the week. Again, not a, not a coach, a trainer. Trained you during the week. Same as Dave Bassett. Trained you, kept you quite happy. Gave you a kick up the backside when you were late. Gave you a pat in the back if you done well. Uh, gave you a strip on a Saturday and says, don't let yourself down. And, and, and kind of then, you know, and, and, and if you did let yourself down, gave you a the backside and gave you a strip back again Saturday, that was his method of management and that kind of suited me a little bit. Okay. Um, look, well, last few few bits. I'm very good at ducking questions, aren't I, guys? Yeah, that was superb. <laughs> Absolutely superb. I, I didn't even notice until you pointed it out. <laughs> um, ask him ask him again <laughs> no um just a couple of um couple of things for for your you know palace playing career that i want to get off uh get off now um yeah he's, he's got some pretty amazing goals for us i can think of a volley against sunderland that's probably my favorite but uh, mm. have you got a favorite yourself i have a favorite because i've been answered many times and I, i'm moving against the green here and saying you know, because people say this goal or that goal. It's just a goal that I felt was a, you know, as a, as a hard one. As a, as a player growing up, I, I was playing in the streets of Glasgow, so you play against bigger guys, smaller guys, all range of people. So you'd have to do skill not to get kicked. Because if you held out the ball and, you know, and you, and you get taken off, you're getting kicked. So mine was to sort of dribble, release it, dribble, release it. So for that reason, as I grew up, I knew that if I was going to make a career, I've got to score goals in six yards run tap in, so that's where the coaching comes in, the runs and things like that. But the real goals that rule, you know, the southern goals are technical goal, practice day in, day out. The goal of guys, you probably will remember, I scored a goal against Wolves. We won, I think we won 3-2 that night, and I scored a goal where I picked the ball up in my own half and beat a man, dribbled, passed it, got it back, to beat a man 1-2, and just slid it under the keeper's legs. That goal, to me, was, was, was from my back in the days when I was from the Glasgow streets just running around playing football. A very goal that just comes and just come natural just to beat players and just feel free. So I, I would put that there. And and no I don't I get asked quite often, I always kinda of go back to that goal because of that feeling. So uh, I know Terence has pretty much an encyclopedic brain with this stuff. Is there something you, you remember? Remember it, Terence? You remember uh, that? It, it was three two. Yeah, it definitely was. I think the, all the games against Wolves around that time finished three one or three two. It did. Yes, it did. But so, I don't know if that was the night I saw the hat trick or it was. I just I, I can't remember. But I really I really remember the goal. I really remember where I picked it up in that particular that particular night. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. So. Um, my favourites, I think Wolves, a lot of them are against Wolves. Wolves away, the volley straight from the flick on from the goal kick. Yeah. Um, yeah. Both against Wolves in the playoff semi-finals were special goals. That was good. Yeah, that was a fantastic day, that. I'll tell you a story there, terms what happened, mate. Real, real big story in my life. This. I played the week before uh, for Crystal Palace against Port Vale. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I get sent off. 
you know, whatever happened, you know, the guy grabbed me, whatever happened, roughly right or wrong, I get sent off. So I'm, I'm sent off, and I'm, I've been told in the dressing room that if, uh, this was the sort of the last, the last game of the season. If we get to the final when will you won't play. Jesus, I can't, I can't, Jesus, sorry, guys, I, I couldn't believe it. I was so low, so I walked through the, I walked from the players' bar, through the bar, underneath the stands, up to, you know, the bar when I'm going upstairs or whatever I'm going to my car, and there's 300 Palace fans. As I was every Saturday after the game, having a few beers, discussing the game, and I'm pretty much embarrassed. They're embarrassed. We're in the, we're in the semi-finals now. We come in, whatever we come in, but I'm so low and I'm walking my head. There's maybe one or two tapping their backs and unlucky. There's people kind of half no making eye contact with me. I'm thinking, oh, I just felt so low. Rewind seven days later, I scored a couple of goals against Wolves. To, we, won in, we won 3 1. We scored a couple of goals against Wolves. And I walked through the exact same bar and the place is heaving and everybody's tapping their back and saying, brilliant. And it just shows you in football. And it gave me a huge lesson that, you know, when there's ever an up, but when there's a when there's an up, there's a down going to come. When there's a down, uh, you can always wait for an up. That's what football gives you to respond, to react, to to come back from the dead or whatever you want to call it. And I learned that very quickly. So whenever I was down in life, I always said, you know what? We're in a corner. This is this is the opportunity football gives you. Also, as well, maybe too much to my too well. My wife says it too much. Maybe when there was a lot of ups, I kind of didn't enjoy it enough because I thought to myself I could be a down in a corner. It's just don't go above your station. But it was a huge learning curve for me playing that rules game the second time in terms of how much you can, how what one week in football is like. That's brilliant. And I know you want to also touch on uh, Stockport as well. Oh, uh, my favourite. Yeah, my favourite ever Palace game, Dougie. Um, I, was, <laughs> I was there as a teenager. Um, oh, good. What are your memories of that day? Because we've been getting them mm. shared recently. Aki and Mikel Forsell were sharing them on the official Palace channels. Yeah, talk, oh, we're having a little talk about it as well. I listen, Aki just, all Aki was is to make up the numbers. Let's get this right here. He tells you put a huge partner and he brought the ball down and that. I can't even remember him playing. He tells me he used to play for Palace. All I do know is this guy used to try and kick me in training. Listen, a wonderful guy. Oh, a very, very good player. Didn't get the headlines he should because of what he'd done. Dedication was fantastic. Very good friend to have off the field. And you don't normally get that in football because it's such a... You know, we're all fighting to be the best, have the best contact, have the best... And if you can get somebody off the field at Aki, you know, he's a real good guy. Uh, that game, that particular game, I felt that I owed... Yeah, that was my first season, guys. Back, so I felt I kind of owed Simon Jordan and I owed Stevie Kemba, and I thought, and I just thought myself, gee, I actually owe these people. So I wasn't, you know, it was a game, and it's 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 kind of good to get this way. It wasn't a game that I was, in fact, not a lot of us even Clinton that we didn't have any kind of self, you know, agenda, or there wasn't any sort of selfishness within that group. I just felt that, you know. I owed it to sort of Simon Jordan and Stevie Kemba. I'm the two people, Terry Brilliant as well, my coach at Barnet, and Tristan Palace. And these guys, and let's be very honest with you guys, when you're a manager coach, when you step over that white line, you can't really do a lot. The fans play a bigger part than the manager does. Trust me, guys, all these managers coach the fancy notepads. Yes, we make the substitutes. Yes, we can have a chat at half-time. But the fans, especially the Palace fans, in fact, the fans... 
uh, the players play the biggest part. So I knew stepping over the, the, the line, you know, had a huge responsibility. I felt very good at that stage in my career. I felt very relaxed, very experienced. Uh, we, we, in fact, my most enjoyable, one of my most enjoyable games, one of three, is the couple of days before we went to Portsmouth, and we had to win the game. Nobody remembers that. We had to win the game to have any chance to go to the last game, and we won it so convincingly. Uh, Stevie Kemmer changed it to a diamond. Uh, I played up front. You know, I just I felt great that night. Probably one of my best performances. You know, for the Palace and the Palace shot because of, we won the game. We went into the Stockport game. It's a strange thing I'm going to say to you, but I, maybe just me, but you, you have a deep, deep, deep sort of belief that you're going to win certain games. And there's other games you think, this is going to be tough. I'm going to try and get my vest. And there's other games you think, oh my goodness, I've actually, we've we got to just dig in here to keep it respectful. That, that's that's where you are as a football player. You've got to, and, you, and you've got to try and get to the stage where you block everything and feel very confident. I've won in that game at Stockport. I felt very confident. No matter what was happening, we were not getting relegated. So we went to the ground, as per usual, Palace fans everywhere, hot summer's day. I remember big, David Hopkins, he could never play in the sun. And I said, Hopkins, we, we need you, mate. Get, get factor 50 on that head of yours. <laughs> and you better. You know what I mean? And it is one of the actual days. He could never play in the sun. He never played in pre-season, guys, never. So one of the days that actually, actually did turn up and play in the sun was, was that game. And, you know, and there, was, there was Clark and goal and there was Smith at the back. There were certain players that played key moments and clearing the ball. Aki, of course. Uh, when I scored the goal, guys, it wasn't it wasn't relief. It was more of right. That's that done. I kind of knew that was happening. Right, that's that over and done with. Let's. <laughs> I kind and, and this is where I kind of let myself down. And I try because I'm a far phone, I try my best to sort of change the way I am. I was pretty much after the game. Right, that's that. Let's look forward to next season. We better start well. We better do this. That we can't be down the bottom again. Which is wrong, guys. Which is wrong, you know. Which is wrong. We should. I should say a little bit more. But that's that was that was me. Maybe it's still me. So that's what I remember of it. That's that job done. Told you that was going to happen. Told you weren't going to get relegated. Well done, Stephen Campbell. Well done, Terry Irvin. There you go, Mr. Chairman Simon John at the time. Uh, fans were fantastic outside the ground, back in the crowd, and very great. But here's me, the player, thinking. What, 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 what's, what, what's the big fuss here, guys? Maybe going back to the question terms on my 20 or my confidence, I was. You know, I just was. So that, that's how I felt. That's how, that's how I'm I remember. glad you were, Dougie, because we were really nice. Yeah, right, yes. that's, that's, it's wrong. I'm saying it's, I am saying it's wrong. I am saying it's wrong, but that's, you're asking me how that's I felt. I'm going to tell you. Do you think David Hopkins was trying to block the sun from his eyes when he, <laughs> he handballed it in it just before you scored? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hotly us in the summer, I can tell you, a fantastic guy as well. He was. Yeah. I first started rooming with Hotly, and no word of a lie. He doesn't let me say this, but I don't care. He's, he lives in Glasgow, so he can't beat me up no more. He'd get <laughs> his teeth shut, he'd have a glass of water. The old fashioned have a glass of water beside his bed. And <laughs> uh, his false teeth would go in the water beside the bed. So whenever I woke up when she's in a hotel room, when I woke up and I just see these teeth floating in this glass of water, <laughs> that was my memories. That was my memories. You know, wow. fantastic, fantastic player. Um, uh, 
obviously uh, Hopkins played a bit internationally as well, as did you. See, mm. seamless link there. I'm brilliant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Makes up for that intro. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so, um, you only, uh, I think it's incredible you only got uh, two caps. You know, anyone who saw you play mm. would probably be shocked at that. Uh, what do you put that down to? And I know uh, Terence has said that if Craig Brown hadn't res- resigned, he thinks you'd have got more. But what's, what's your views? Yeah, that, you know, you know, you know Remember, guy, you know, you're starting to get a little bit inside. And I'm only doing this for, you know, kind of, I wouldn't do this a lot. And I, just because of who I am. I wasn't the most uh, easiest player to manage, put it that way. Certain managers felt it was a big basketball problem managing certain managers. So when I turn up and play, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 games for them at 21s, and Craig Brown then calls me up. What people don't know, he called me up for 10, 12, 15 international games. Now, in those days, it was only two subs. So here's me travelling to Russia, Moldova, Belgium, you name it, and sitting in the stand, which is which was fine. You know, you're waiting for your chance, you're training this. I'm a 21-year-old lad who was just... I was on standby for the Euros 96. I was a 23rd, 4th man, or whatever it is. So I was always nearly there. And then I kind of half snapped about 22, 23, whatever it was, and I just said to Craig Brown at the time, I said, look, listen, wrong guy, again, wrong guy, a mistake I made in my life. Uh, listen, I've travelled everywhere, you know, I, I, I do this, I do that, you know, and I never quite make it, you know, what have I got to do kind of thing? And he said, look, Daddy, I'm a cause, a few players in front of me, I said, well, I think I'm better enough, I just give him a chance. I don't think that went down too well. To be very honest, with you, I just don't think it. I just don't think it did. Uh, a couple of a couple of more games. Uh, I finally got on the bench. True story again. I finally got on the bench. I think right, that's it. <laughs> Here we go. I've waited two, three years. I've been because because I didn't get any caps, but I was I was with the national team for a couple of years. Ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety nine. Always in the stand. Uh, Gary McCarthy, Stuart McCock, could never get in the team. So. I get on the bench, I thought, right, I'm on the bench. And it was the game, I can't get I should know this, Estonia maybe turned me out. It was the game that they never turned up. The team never turned up. Remember that? And yeah. Scotland had to kick off. You won 3-0, so, didn't you? No, no, the, the team never turned up. Yeah. I, know, I know you probably have a, a, a joke about this, a theory smoke me, turns to me, you have a get room in here, they never turned up. So, I get changed get my shot on, go back home, thinking, oh, man, is ever going to happen? And then never happened for a few years. I moved away to Nottingham Forest, didn't do so well, and it was a few years later that Craig Byrne in his last game decided to give me a cap when I was very disappointed. But if Volts comes in and gives me one cap, we get beat 5-0 in France and doesn't pick me again. Guys, I do know deep down, and again, it's maybe an arrogance thing, if I went and put up in Scotland, I would get more caps. Yeah. My decision uh, at the time, I, I remember I had a my first time at Crystal Palace, there was an opportunity to go to Glasgow Celtic, which, um, which I never, it was Tommy Bond that contacted me. I never encouraged it, and it never quite happened, but there was communication there. But one of the things was you can get more Scotland caps, you'll be seen, and I just felt at the time, I'd, I'd lived in Glasgow, I wanted to come away, I lived in London, I was at Paris, I was having a good time, and it was something I was willing to sacrifice to continue, probably trying to get to the Premiership, probably trying to get, and it's something, you know, and it's a strange thing I'm going to say here, but in Scotland, the premiership in England is not as big as the premiership in Scotland, believe it or not. 
And when I was living in London for five, six, seven, eight years, I knew how big the premiership was in England. So here's me, I'm thinking, I want to get there. That's where I want to be. It's the only place to be. It's the only place to play. So I could have possibly get more if I had sacrificed certain things, but I look back and think, that's life. That's the way it goes sometimes. Okay, yeah, um, so, sorry, it, it was it was Estonia, and apparently the Scotland fans were singing. There's only one team in Tallinn, so there you go. <laughs> That's it. That's exactly what happened. Okay, um, let's uh, let's jump into to Palace management time now. Obviously, mm. that that began with um, well, began with the, the spell of administration and um, what happened around yes. that. Terence has just written in our document here that we've been looking at administration stories. So I think that's a demand for some administration stories. Well, I'm, I'm yeah, more specifically, I'm sorry, more specifically about you know keeping Spironi and stuff like that after. Sheffield. Yeah, my goodness. Yeah, that was tough, guys. I've got some again, never, never been told before because I'm not a storyteller. I don't like to look back, guys. But I'm sure if it's of interest to your listeners, then I can tell you now. But it's not something that. I've never told again, and, and when you're going to ask me when I left, it's something I've never told because I've got reasons that I believe it's still, I just kept quiet because, you know what, look, people got on with things and, uh, you know, and, and, and don't sort of look back. Uh, I had the opportunity, I was still playing, and this is one of the biggest sacrifices. People say to me, you know, listen, Crystal Palace has been good for me as I have then, so it's been fantastic, you know, for both of us, no doubt. I had many, many opportunities to move on as a player, especially uh, since I was doing well. The B-30 Simon Jordan at the time, uh, and his dad, you know, they would always make me feel welcome and stay here and always sign new contracts and always sell at home because when I left the first time round, it was a real, it's something that doesn't happen no more. You know, it's something that doesn't happen. This is a few foreign lads come in, and my mates get sold. Hoppy definitely left, and a couple of my mates get sold, and and you pretty much guys get told you're going to go. So I'd only played a couple of games in the Premiership, and I got a phone call from Ron Nodes saying we've just sold you to Wolves. Now it's an extremely nasty thing. Like you don't get a kind of option to say, well, I don't want to go. You kind of, I remember taking the phone call thinking, oh, I'm gutted with that, what, what's, what, you know, is it, well, I've done this, we've brought that, we've brought that, and then, you know, it's time to move on. Uh, and, you, and you just kind of think, oh, oh, all right, that's the way it goes. That was the time, the time you get 10% of your money, you move on, and that's it. Very strange, nowadays, you would, you would, you just wouldn't go, you don't go, people like to sit, people refuse. So, you, you know, when I, when I, come back and the opportunity to go, I always felt, you know, people keep me kept me and I always felt quite well. So the, the biggest sacrifice I've ever made, ever made, was when I was still playing. I actually played at South End. I was really enjoying it. I went from doing the reserves for me, one, under 16 reserves, which was a great learning curve, guys. Fantastic, you know, pretty much me and the Sergio, uh, set of young lads, driving the older shot, driving to Cambridge, in the van, uh, Monday night, taking the game, doing what I've got to do, back in training Tuesday morning with the lads, training, playing a Saturday, that was how it was developing, doing my coaching badges. I then went to Leeds, I thought, you know what, I've got to give it a crack. I went to Leeds and loan, done okay, and then had the opportunity to go a few places. Southend come in, they'd offered me uh, the potential of coaching and whatever management, which, which I 
turned down eventually, but they did. And I felt at home, so I went and played. So when the phone call come that we were in administration from uh, Phil Alexander and Paul Hart was going to be managing, they want you to come and help, you know, in a situation, I gave up playing. And <laughs> it didn't take me, it only took me seconds to say yes, but it's something I kind of thought as the time went on, I kind of regret, I thought, I quite regret that a little bit, I actually wish I'd still played. But again, the decision was made, guys, and it was so the decision was made quite quick. And that's what I kind of do sometimes, think, well, I should have. But the biggest thing I had was not playing. So when I come back, I was actually still thinking as a player, we're in Paul Hart, we're in administration, it's real bad, guys. And I've been in administration, remember, the first time when Ron Nodes was seven, and it was difficult, you know, things were starting to go downhill, seven, everybody. I'd seen that side of it. And, 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 and when I come back, it was real, it was real, it was desperate. The good characters, Sean Derry, Alan Lee, the good characters, Clint Hill, but it was difficult. But I'd still thought as a player, because I thought myself, well, I'm still a player, I, just, I was playing last week. And that helped me kind of get through being very close to the lads, being very close to them in terms of, look, you know, got to be doing this, you should be thinking about this, thinking about that, demonstrating the training ground, running with them. Not so much training with them, running with them and getting a few young players and doing this. And that, that was my kind of release from actually stop playing. I gave up. I, I gave up. The summer came. We, 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 we miraculously stayed up that day at Sheffield Wednesday. It was a fantastic day. We stayed up and then the new consortium come in. And that guy sat there, uh, very, very difficult. I sat there in the summer. Remember, guys, I've just retired retire, retire myself a little bit from playing, so I'm sitting in the office. We just stayed up. Paul Hart's contract, that was done. Uh, administration, uh, 72 people lost their job that week. There was the groundsman, there was Chris, the secretary, there was Phil Alexander, there was me on the staff. My contract had run out in three weeks' time because it was a kind of playing contract. It was playing, it was up until the 31st of May, and we just sat there. And I thought, I just, you know, I'm thinking, do I play? Do I stay? What, what, what do we do? What, how do we get on with this here? What had happened then, instincts just taken in. Play, people were trying to take the players. People were trying to make the players. I won't go into names, guys. People were trying to, I was getting phone calls, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And I just pretty much rolled my sleeves up. Dan Ambrose, he was a cute guy as a medical. I remember being on the phone for about two hours with him, just telling me exactly what the club means, what it means to him, what it means to you, what it means to us. Uh, Joan Spironi, again, guys, I won't go into the detail because he's very private. Joan's a very private guy, and, you know, we got on very well, but that was that was, that went deep. That went real deep. And he stayed, and I convinced him to stay, and I convinced one or two that we stay. Guys, remember, they didn't get paid. They weren't getting paid at the end of the month with the administration. But somehow, I presume they didn't stay. And pretended that there was a consortium coming in. Now, there was a few, but I didn't meet anybody. I didn't know anything. So in the end, uh, I'll light up a little bit. I get a phone call from, I'm on the phone to Darren Ambrose. And I get a phone call from the groundsman in my office. And the groundsman says, Daddy, I need some authorization to spend forty thousand pounds in grass seed to let the grass streets over the summer. And I said, Look, I'm on the phone to Dan Ambrose, I'm trying to actually keep the club, give me a minute. He said, No, no, I need to know now. So I said, Darren, can you hold the line one minute? I said, Look, listen, get the grass seed, I'll give you the forty quid, make sure the grass seed not knowing what's going to happen, guy. I put that phone down, 
picked up my mobile phone back at the Dan Ambrose. That's where we were at that time. We just we were talking forty quid guys for grasses, we were talking to a keeper. Now that summer persuaded me that I've got to stop playing and I got down to some sort of management or coaching because I was getting a buzz from I don't know, hustling, hustling people. Hustling, you know, just persuading them, hustling, stay here, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that. I then meet the consortium, uh, you know, we, we all know, you know, the guys come in, save the club, or the fans kinda of save the club and then Steve Parsons consortium come in and kinda of put the money there and away we go. Uh, luckily enough for myself, they wanted me to be part of it. George Burley come in. Uh, I got an opportunity to coach, which was great. Possibly leaning towards not playing no more, you know, thinking well, that's that done and getting to sort of coaching and really enjoying it. George Bowie was in the right appointment at the wrong time. Unfortunately, George had come out of a situation in Scotland where it, it was very, very tough, national boss, it was very tough, and I think he needed a longer break. I think he was still a little bit tired from it. And he wasn't, had been in the championship. The championship had moved on as it did over three or four years. Unfortunately, that, that, that resulted in George not been successful uh, and then Steve Powers, you know, sacking him and then taking the reins for a few games guys. So that's where it all kind of started. Who did you, uh, did you who who sort of um, raised the idea of, of you getting the job full time first? Did you have you know, did you have to suggest that or was... uh, No, what I what I'd done is you remember get I had a little bit of kind of self doubt a little bit. I'd just been playing six, seven months ago. I'd been part of a not a very successful team. It was at the bottom, on the bottom, I at the bottom, in fact, or well down at the bottom. And I was a little bit kind of sheepish. I was a little bit thinking to myself, you know, a little bit kind of thinking to myself, you know, what should I do here? There was, there was a very, very tough transfer room guy, Paddy McCarthy, Jones, Maroney, Kleine, we could be a little sod at times, you know, he was hard to manage. Uh, there was big players in there. Uh, Everson up front, Pablo Canago, Claude Davis, and I'd seen a few names, and Steve Parrish was interviewing a few people, and I was thinking, you know what, maybe I'll actually go and have a few years with the family, you know, I'll, I'll let Steve talk to a few people and let him get on his job, in the meantime I'll try and win a few games and keep things ticking over and hand over to somebody like that. That was my thinking, I was never putting my name in, that was my thinking, and it was a few weeks later, I had a chat with Steve, and I said to him, look, very, very relaxed, well, what are you thinking? And he told me, and I said, Steve, look, you know, you've got to be careful. It's a very tough dressing room. He knew that, you know, he, he, there's some big characters in there. And I said, you know, it needs a little bit of kind of managing here. I said, look, you know what? I'll do it. And he said, very simple as that, I'll do it. And he kind of was taken back a little bit and he said, right, what do you mean, you, you'll do it? He said, yeah. And he said, you sure? I said, I'll do it. Kind of thing, I can't just, I'll do it. I'll get on with it. I'll do it because there's, there's characters in there. I kind of have to know them. And Steve said, well, look, I like the idea. Uh, I have been interviewing a few people. Let me just sort out a couple of bits and pieces, talk to the other guys. And then he just come the next day and says, right, go, you're sure you're on it. You've got the job. And that was it, guys. And there wasn't even any time to sign contracts. I never signed a contract. I never done nothing. Kind of just... And it'd be fair to Steve Pice, that particular season was fantastic. I mean, just left me alone. Left me alone. Let the manager and the coach coach. I brought in Lenny Longs. And we just spent, guys, day in, day out, on that training ground to very proudly turn around the worst defensive record in the whole four leagues. Uh, we turned it round to be one of the best in that six months, and it was just sheer hard work of discipline and organisation, and then that's how it come around. Quite natural, quite relaxed about it. 
meant to be kind of thing. I think it's what we wanted. I think it's what we wanted to see as fans. You know, every every set of fans dreams of having you know a club legend take over and and take the helm. And I think you know we were very comfortable to see that happen. The guys at the time, you know, it was very difficult for myself because I was uh, I didn't I don't want to be forceful and abuse my power and, and abuse. Well, I'm going to do this. I think that's you've got to have a fine line with that. You know, you you, you can't. You know, oh, because I've done this, I deserve this. That's now that works in football. Certainly, how it works in my world. You know, uh, it's no, it's no something. You know, I don't feel comfortable with that. Or because I scored a gold stop, I become the manager. It's certainly something. You know, I never said. Uh, it, it just come natural. You know, I had a good relationship with Steve at that particular time. You know, he was, he, he, he was concerned. So, you know, we we, we, we talk about. You know, I think we played Swans and we could beat. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. You know, obviously it's difficult, Steve. We've got to think about this. So, you know, when I kind of say two weeks later, guys, I just said, Steve, I'll do it. I remember, I remember, I remember it in the office. I said, I'll, do, I'll, I'll go because I was scared in case somebody come in that didn't know what they were doing. They didn't have any time, you know. And I was here's me thinking to myself that, and I didn't know if I could do it. To be honest with you, I didn't know if I could do it, but I just knew I had a little experience the year before staying up. I kind of a little bit of respect in the dressing room. I kind of persuaded Ambrose and Speroni to stay, so there was a little bit of love there with us, and I just felt that, you know, that that's that's where we are. Uh, the real, the real, it really hurt me, guys. A few days later, uh, you know, remember I've had a lot of notes. I've studied the game for 10, 10 years before that, and you know, I've been all in the world studying and getting prepared. Didn't actually think it'd come as quick. So when I got my notes, I would say like punts of kind of key factors of what you got to do when first taking over. Uh, number one, trust. Well, trust you don't play for the end of story, that's it done. You can't coach them, you can't talk to them. Uh, point two, get the, the core players in the group and, the, and see the managers and, and go through the core players, what the rules are and what the, the aims are and what the vision is and then let them spread it to the group of players. I said, Paddy McCarthy, Paddy, come in here. I said, go and get the four leaders and bring them in here. Paddy McCarthy came in with John Speroni. Paddy McCarthy walked in the door and said, it's me and John. Sean Derry, Alan Lee, Clint Hill had gone the year before. Dan Ambrose was not a leader off the pitch, he was more, more inspiration on the pitch. So, there, there lies my task guys, straight away, two guys. Over the last three, for maybe, maybe 18 months, every player I signed had to be a leader. So I.E. Dean Delaney comes in, Mary Jiddick comes in, Glenn Murray come in. Uh, and then all of a sudden, guys, too, when I left the football club, and I actually asked for the same, but when I was one of my last couple of months, I'd get the group in of core, the core group to say, well, this is what I'm thinking. There was nine or ten of them in the room. There was nine or ten in the room. I remember I'm thinking, that's what's changed around. The fundamental success here has changed around by the amount of, role models, leaders, whatever you want to call them, uh, winners, it went from two to eight or nine. Now, don't get me wrong, the Sahas and people of that, you know, they weren't in the room at the time, but they were fantastic on the pitch, but they needed to have some day-in, day-out rules drilled into them. I had eight or nine people doing that for me. And obviously, um, the, core, the core group is pretty much still there, but you, you mentioned Glenn Murray in there, and I know Terence yeah. has, has um, got a question about Glenn, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so just quickly harking back to the defence, the change you made in the defence, you might not know you have a club record, uh, eight clean sheets on the bounce at home, 
I can't see that being broken any time soon. Guys, it was just a te- it was a technique I'd, I'd left. I said, oh my God, that bit of bone on you. I studied in Italy, and I, that's what I've done in my studying. Every summer, two or three weeks over in Italy, AC Milan, Bologna, Lazio, everywhere, and I just studied a structure. And I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what whoever, whatever fan you've got a structure. So whatever it is, some like it, some don't, and we just got a structure in there. We went five yards deeper. We went five yards narrower. Two centre midfielders sucked, sucked us, uh, our wingers in. Not to be a flat four, to play in our moon shape, that's the key to it. To play Balas, uh, Saha, the particular arrows in a moon shape, so therefore they can spring an attack. That was putting them, that was putting them day in, day out, uh, for the next, for, for the, for the, for, for, for every single day, in fact, they put it into them. Uh, I had to touch on Glenn Murray, if you want to jump onto that. When we, when we were, uh, when we were getting to hopefully stay in the division, I also had to sign scout for next year. You know what I mean? So I was scouting for I was trying to scout for next year and keep them in the division. That was the hardest thing. Uh, so I don't know if you want to ask me the Glenn Murray story, which uh, Glenn Murray signing, which was pretty much pretty much uh, my first real signing at the football club. Oh no, the first real signing, but the first one that made the biggest impact. It was um, five years ago today, actually. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But my question was, what um, what was the main difference between the first season and the second season? What did you do with him for him to enable him to come so prolific in the second season? Glenn, Glenn was the healthy man's guys. You know, I listened to the agreement. At the time, we had a good reason, but he was hard to manage. He wasn't very professional. He thought, he thought it was... Uh, uh, can I say this nicely? He thought it was a Glenn Murray show, which which it wasn't. He questioned some professional techniques of mine. He, you know, I mean that's what Glenn's very difficult to manage. He'd still scored a few goals, but guys, people I could drop him. I could leave him like a few squads. He, he was he was a guy tech. But listen, I'm the same. I'm I'm of the same thinking of Glenn. I was the kind of same mentality as a player. So I knew his thinking. I knew what I had to do. So I remember one game I left him at the squad, told me to have a weekend with his wife uh, and baby in Brighton and go and, uh, and go have a nice ledger walk on down the pier. Uh, I knew inside him it was killing him, but he put a brave face on his smile and said, that'll be nice, Gavin, thanks very much. I said, no problem, off you go. And I left him at the squad. And he come back the Monday morning and, and, and I didn't know this, I was hoping this, and the reaction exactly what I got, he turned a little bit harder. And I told him, that, well done, you turned a little bit harder. I said, uh, but not hard enough. So have another week with your wife inviting to you. And I see him in the morning. And it was killing him deep inside. Uh, trying to come back, trying a bit harder, and followed a few people in terms of professionalism. That's that was it. He come back that pre season. No, sorry, he was always a he was always a very, very good player. But he didn't have the mentality to he didn't have the mindset to go with his a, a good player. All I did was manage it up, you know, manage the two of them together. I'd seen Glenn for many years in the lower leagues. Uh, sometimes I see him a fat backside. Sometimes I see him quite good. Uh, I watched him for the last time playing at Dagen and Ledbridge with Tony Popovich. Uh, the game was nil nil until the seventh minute. He did not move a muscle, and I was I was thinking, I've watched you. I know you're good. You're a free transfer. You're a good target man. You'd be good if the kind of 
you can play off you on Garvin, Saha, and you're always going to try and get a win on our side, and you're going to sell Skinner Ambrose. I need, I need, you know, I need this kind of player. Seventy uh, fifth minute, he volleyed one from the volleyed one from the edge of the box. That was it. I stood up, walked at the ground, and literally hounded them for the next six weeks. Nam hounded them. Uh, <laughs> Pretending I was flying from Gatwick every five minutes to stay sort of down there and making an excuse to go and see him. Uh, and eventually they got him. It's a wonderful sign of the club. Ah, definitely. Um, and, and, you know, left the club, um, you know, with, with a huge reputation. And shame he's uh, not got some more games since he did leave. Um, OK, we're going yeah. we're gonna to get into, um, into you know, the questions uh, we, that I suppose we've got probably the most um, contact on. Mm-hmm. Um, so... In your, I'm just basically going to hand this over to you in your own words, I think, is probably the mm. best bet. You know, obviously you left the club to, to go manage Bolton. I think the general reaction from the fan base is one of a sort of shock at the time and a, and a lot's been mm. said and speculated about. So, obviously, mm. there's things that you'll, you'll want to keep close and, and, and not talk about. But in your own words, how, what was the situation from your perspective? No, guys, listen, I've, I've never spoken about it and never will because the decision was solely my decision. Uh, born out of the kind of, you know, what I was feeling at that particular time. Let me put it on record. It was the wrong decision, and I do regret it, but it was made by myself and only me, you know, it wasn't forced or pushed or anything like that. It was made by myself. Now, the reason I will keep it private, and hopefully it's respected, because I never wanted to harm the football club by saying anything, because whatever I said could be taken out of context and twisted and, and maybe levelled at somebody else at the football club, and that's not my game at all. And at the particular time of leaving, I could have easily you know, made up one of the pills and said whatever. That, that is not, I've never done it and never will do it because the club's on the momentum, uh, and I've always kept it that way. There was nothing uh, for me to leave the club. Looking back, I sometimes question myself. I was very ambitious, uh, very you know, strong-willed, hard-headed, could not take a no, I could not take a no, uh, you know, kind of thought I was King Kong, you know, thought I could fight the world, and that's it, it's my way or no way, uh, wrongly, you know, very wrongly, so that was, you know, uh, you know, putting everything aside, the disappointing thing for me and it's, and, it, and it's happened time and time again, I won't say anything more on this, for me is that the decision was only made over 24 hours, I didn't have enough time to think, and that's what Hampton football sometimes, it was pretty much, you know, Bolton have made an inquiry, they've paid a, a bond or a fee, whatever you call it, a, a, you know, paid whatever money, uh, you get the licence to talk to them, uh, I spoke to them, and, and, I, and I, you know what guys, I spoke to them, and I went to the movies that night thinking, the, the, the night before I went to the movies, I thinking, I don't even know what I'm doing here. I spoke to him, and he told, Phil Gart said, God rest him, played me like a kipper. He told me everything that I wanted to hear, and the decision was made. Guys, never told anyone this before. I went in the next day, told Steve, with a huge argument, you know, that's the way it goes. Went in the training ground, said by the lads, you know, there was a lot of tears, drove at the training ground, and, 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 I can't don't feel sorry, it's just a fact, you know, you know, cried the whole way about up to Bolton, always thinks I turn around, but my stubborn head says no, keep on going. I knew I made a mistake, I knew I made a mistake, guys, the first day I was at Bolton, 
the first training ground, the uh, first training session they're taking, about maybe a week later, six, seven days later, I knew I'd made a mistake. But the person I am, the person, you know, I still am, that's just me, you know, I just, that's it. I've told you before, you've got a little bit to get to know me, because some things I get wrong, some things I get right, that's just me. Uh, and, and that's it, away I went. And again, kept things very, very quiet, because I don't think there's no need to say anything, because the club had done nothing to harm me, they'd done nothing, why should I do it to harm them? They were a fantastic run at the time. You know, there's a lot of respect there for the players. To this day, to this day, guys, I'm still, you know, close to one or two of them, very close. So, you know, there was, there was nothing for me, you know, you know, to say there. I think we'll, um, I just want to leave that with, with your words so the listeners can just listen to that and without my, without my mm. comment on it. But, um, mm. so, um, uh, we were also asked by a lot of people, I just want to name check a few people. You've answered their question in there. Um, Trevor, Tudor, Lisa, Jamie Seekings, Ian Lyons, Ian Noble, and loads of others about whether you actually regretted it. And it's interesting that, that mm. you know, regret was almost your, your, your first emotion. But, yeah, um, I did. There's no. Yeah, I did. There's no. Again, there's a no here. Yeah, I'm in a good place in life right now. For the first time, I think, in a long, long time, I'm having a, a fantastic. I've cleared a lot of crap from my head, a lot of bullshit goes with football and I'm in a real good place so again you've caught me in a good time right now to you know tell exactly how I'm feeling which I'm fine with good stuff well the last the last bit then um, on that sort of on, on that side of things was um, again people contacting us about the the story that reported that your involvement in the leaking of Cardiff's team to mm. Palace Ian Moody texting you all this kind of stuff uh, again mm. something in your own words about that I don't want to lead you into mm. anything Again, you've got to be very careful. What I can say is, uh, I'm going to be very careful here. Lies. There's a lot of lies in there. I kind of stick up for myself. I need to be very careful because there's some people have got big, uh, they'll have, they can write in back pages and big national papers. So, you know, they wrote, some people wrote lies. Uh, I was put in a very, very, very difficult position. Uh, by an agent who had told, uh, who told me that Wilfred Saha was playing, and I said to him, I know that because I've been sent a text. I put the phone down, and that certain agent, I think he's banned in fact, told, uh, told Steve Paz, told the papers, whatever, and next minute I'm getting phone calls. I did receive a text, I did it, and I had to, and I actually spoke to Steve Paz on that morning to explain that. What had come out was a lot of lies in terms of how it come around. Again, I can't, I've got to be careful what I say, but, you know, I'd, I'd spoke to Steve Paris the next morning explaining he was fine with it. So I think from Paris's end, and he taking appropriate action, I think I need to leave it there. Yeah, no, there you go. Very, very, di- very disappointing thing for me that very disappointing. couldn't really come out and see what's really going on. But the one person I did speak to was Steve Pye straight away and explained that and he was he was he was uh, understanding of it. Yeah, they go, I had a few card loan at the time, very, very difficult. No, it's 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 just important that people understand that yeah, they've got mis- misconception about that and obviously. Yeah, it wasn't in football. It's very, very difficult football, you know, the people write stuff and nine times out of ten there's not a lot of proof in it, but for for me, explain stuff over and over. You kind of dig a bigger hole. You know what I mean. So to to leave it sometimes and to be the healer, that's where we are. Uh, that that's what I have to be with. 
That's fair enough. Now, yeah, just going to say, funny you mentioned that you went to the movies when you got the, the Bolton offer, because when I found out the oh, next no. day, I got the text saying you'd gone. I was actually standing about five yards away from Tom Cruise, and I won't repeat what I <laughs> shouted out on. It was quite expletive, and um, I think even he was going, yeah. but, you know, it's, 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 it's not, you know. Yeah, listen, <clears> guys, you know what, you know what, you make some decisions in life. Uh, again, I'm not going to go through it. There was a lot in my head, you know. I'd 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 pretty much be, well, try to be tapped up every month for the last eighteen months ago. I turned an apprenticeship job. I turned an apprenticeship job, um, literally three months before it. At the end of that, they seen before I turned in an opportunity to manage apprenticeship because I said to them, go through the right channels, and they didn't. So that was it done. So you know, there's a lot going in my head, and, and when I'm gutted myself, is it was it was a you only get 24 hours, you get to talk to somebody, you make a decision, you think, is that right? That was it, you know, and there was a lot going on in my personal life as well, we'd moved, we'd moved from Essex to Southern, I wasn't happy, anyway, anyway, we'll going on about that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the future, I was going to talk a bit about Bolton and Forest, but to be honest with you, you know, it's, it's a Palace show, um, yeah. and I'm, I'm sure well, reading between the lines and knowing what football is like, it does suggest that probably both clubs you were promised things that didn't materialise. Yeah, listen, Bolton very quickly, very disappointing. A terrible atmosphere. A lot of players been a long time. Fans had used to premiership football and they thought they were just beginning right. Phil Gatson was wonderful. Uh, that was one of the good things that came out of that experience. Uh, knowing a man that's got some values and morals and you know, in the end, you know, put his hand up and didn't say what it's supposed to be 10. Nottingham Forest, wonderful club, uh, and, a, and a, an embargo. Try my very best, but unfortunately, you know, you don't always see eye to eye. Or people, they understand that football in this country is a little bit different from maybe, you know, from what, what a foreign owner expects. And the best thing that happened to me was shaking hands and moving on. Guys, where am I right now for the first time in a long, long time? And this is what people don't appreciate that 25 years in football. Uh, you, you know, I'm 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 decluttering, I'm I'm learning, I'm I'm finishing a degree at uh, university, I'm taking the kids to school, uh, I'm looking for opportunities, but opportunities suit me. I'm very passionate about education. I've got an education company that I found four years ago now. That's that's it's, it's good, and I'm building that because I've got passion to build that right now. Always will love football and if the right opportunity comes up, then wonderful. If it doesn't, then there's nothing better what I did on Saturday. Uh, taking my boys to a match with a couple of hot dogs in a programme, that's where I am right now. Oh, fantastic. So, on last bit on the future then, we've had a few questions in about this. Uh, mm. Probably summed up brilliantly by uh, Rob Sutherland of, of Five Year Plan, who got a fanzine and a, and a podcast uh, they've said if Alan Pardew asked you would you consider returning to Palace in some capacity again we, we don't talk about what's going on in the past you've asked me sort of questions I'm not really I, I don't look back and I don't answer questions that have never that have not been put to me by Alan oh. Pardew that's the, that's the thing that to answer yeah it's, it's not it's not the right way to, to, to leave it listen I have got a very good relationship with uh, the board there, um, you know, Pardew's a fantastic manager, you know, he's done very well, 
uh, you know, to, to, to you know, hopefully he's taking, you know, we're talking right now, not taking yet, but he's taking the club to the next level. I'm sure he's got enough eyes in this round him, there's enough Palace people there to have that support. Uh, I'm always I'm always in the back of my mind, you know, thinking, you know, I'll look out for the results and I've always got a huge listen, let me just finish on this. This is this is something that they've explained to Palace fans. When we were in any administration there was there was a small core group of fans that would turn up like drizzly night and a Tuesday night. You know, things were going okay. We were in administration and it's the same as I think at Wembley. All of a sudden there was an influx of past, present Palace fans making groups on social media. I was there, remember, I'm looking, I'm thinking, what, what's going on here? And I could see it growing. That same core group of fans going to the heart of London and, and let's just save the club. Let's make no mistake of that. We get together, we get a bit of momentum, we move up the leagues, we get promotion, we're in the premiership, and people are seeing these wonderful, wonderful fans. They've always been there. That's what kind of, that, I'm, I'm screaming at match of the day sometimes when I hear people say that. They were there when the club was in administration. So they didn't just turn up at the FA Cup final on Saturday. They didn't just turn up when, when, when it's Man City or Chelsea in town. They were there, and that's that's what will always attract me. And the same thing that attracted me when I way, way back and whenever I signed and you know, there was an attraction there. That will never, ever go away. Now, there might be certain fans out there that think they say, well, I was disappointed that happened, but you know what? You make decisions in your life and you've got to move on. Some are happy, some are not happy. I can't change that. I've explained, you know, roughly where I'm at and where they're at. I'll always have a correlation because nobody can take away the things that were done and the things that were put in place. And that's what I'm happy with, with fans that didn't just jump on the bandwagon. They were there when the times were really, really tough. That's what always has that closeness with me with the fans. Okay, thanks, Dougie. We'll uh, we'll leave it there with those words. That's brilliant. Um, okay. Obviously, I think Good the luck, guys. Um, cheers. Thanks a lot. I just I think I, obviously. Go on, go on, Terence. I know you. Got, yeah, I, I oh, just want to say once. So sorry, sorry. It's a bit embarrassing you a bit, Dougie. But I just want to thank you for everything you've done for the club. And um, as a fan, you've given me memories that I'll remember. I'll be talking about Stockport on my deathbed to my grandchildren, yeah, boring and stiffless. So. Thank you. Yeah. No, listen, Terence, listen, thank you. Listen, it's nice that you say that, but let me just leave you with all. So it was a, it was a, it was, it was a group. It was, it was the fans running on the pitch afterwards. It was the, the atmosphere that we created at Portsmouth. It was the, you know, the Clint Morrises and the Aki's. There was a few, isn't it? Uh, we all dig in again. And that's what's happening right now. You know, I, I, I don't want to say who I was texting the weekend, but I was to explain it to people, you know, it's very, very good times ahead and, Although that was great to look back to him, you know, you have a very, very, you, 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 you support the team there that's going to have ups and downs, but that's part of it, and that's part of the journey, and that's, that's, that's nice that you say, but I'm sure you have, I'm sure you have more memories, mate. I'll just, if we're getting in thanks, can I thank you for Brighton 3-1 at the Amex as well? So that's my favourite thing ever. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. Put that on there. That, no, many people not that. No, I go. I say this is my. This is a very proud moment of the Palace manager. We go there. We beat the, the first team to one at that at Brighton. The Emirates, as you say, we're the first team to one there, and we've done it with Johnny Williams, Scannell, and Saha behind the Glen Murray. So three young guys. That was 
it was like, I was I felt that it was, it was a big relief when we won because it was a difficult decision. But the three guys uh, from the youth team pulled up to the reserves into the first team that actually done that. That was a very proud moment. Definitely. That was that was the night I knew that Mile Jednak was a player. He was mm. brilliant that night. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. I thought uh, again. I thought the three youngsters behind them were just, you know, they they, they ran and they, they tried and they, you know, and at that stage, guys, just touching last little bit, you know, I explained it when the national club at the weekend. That was a tough decision to let Sean Scanner go. And that that boy was with me night and day for many many years, many years. Uh, on and off the pitch, you know, I had to look after that kid off the pitch as well. So, to make the decision to sell him uh, to get the money for Balassi was was you know it was it was again it was a it was a very very difficult time for me. And these are the little factors you you build up. You know, when you leave the football club, you think you know, these are tough tough decisions to have a guy that's pretty much you know I'm on the phone you know just night and day with a kid and and to tell him that you're serving him. To Huddersfield, explaining them, you know, you're going to bring in an R player in his position, and you won't play as much. That was a, that was that was heartbreaking for me to do a little bit. Now I know Balas has been a success, and that's great for everybody. But you know that that group of players, Saha and Williams and Scarrow, was a moment that I was very proud of because I knew these young guys. I knew them since a young age, and to go to Brighton, arrivals, and you know, everybody was thinking, "Oh, they won nine in a row, and we went and won." Very, very proud moment. Dougie, that's been fantastic. I just thank you so much for talking to us. Okay. And from no the bottom of my heart, I really hope you. that we see you another time soon. Okay, guys. I wish you all the best for this uh, for next season. Good luck with your station. Yeah, Dougie, take care. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. It's Holmesdale Radio. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.